Bring it in. Week two of the NFL season. Well, it's just around the corner. And boys, I say boys for a very particular reason because Vito is back. I told you on the last pod, he he told us he was going to be here. And look, when Vito makes you a promise, he says, boys, I'm going to be there. I promise you I'm going to be there. He follows through. So welcome back, Branson, Vito, our man. How are you, buddy? Good, good. Thanks, uh, you know. Uh, I'm pretty excited for to be back on the pod with you guys. Um, yeah, I've been, been traveling a little bit, you know, been all over uh, East Coast, West Coast concerts, getting a bunch of stuff in here before football season really kicks off, things with work and everything. It was a, it was a good break I needed, but very, very excited to be back and talking football with my boys, Scotty and Jeff. Well, you were, you were a little disconnected for week one, but you, you caught enough. You caught enough, and despite your J.K. Dobbins debacle in fantasy, you walk away one and zero in your in our one fantasy league. Can't be is, mad at that, and also, which is great. Uh, you know, I, I this is actually I don't know if I told you guys this. I was just supposed to fly home on Sunday. I originally bought a flight, and going from the West Coast to the East Coast, anyone who flies that way, you know, you lose your whole day. You're just screwed. So I ended up changing my flight to leave at midnight the night before. And I took a red eye back home just so I could get home to watch Red Zone all day on my own couch. There you um, go. It's dedication. Yeah, you can't. As miss you it. should. As you should. Uh, we got a great pod lined out for you guys today. We're gonna run through the NFL slate. We're gonna preview, we're gonna touch a little bit on pretty much all 16 games. Look, there's some bad games this week. Bears, Bengals, you know, Jets, Patriots, things that were really don't have too much to say that I might just kind of ask Vito his takeaways from week one, because since he wasn't on the pod to kind of give his his thoughts from it, but primarily we're going to rip through those. But there are some games that are definitely noteworthy. We're going to preview uh, the weekend in college football because you boys have a huge <laughs> matchup. Huge matchup. Oh, baby. And Scotty, you got a, a beautiful brisket lined up. You and I are going to have a I weekend of a, a football, you know, just – peek behind the mirror here i think scotty and i have both been going through it a little bit here in the last couple of weeks so especially the last week in particular and we had this moment we were like you know what we just need we just need a boys weekend of football and smoked meats and beer and and just just living the life the way that god intended which is football on saturday and sundays smoked meat and and just having a freaking weekend and I, i'm really stoked for that uh, I got some life, random life shit, RSL or RLS. We got to, I can come up with a better name for it, but I kind of just like calling it random life shit. Uh, I've been having a running tally on my phone, but I only like doing it when all three of us are, are here together. So we're going to wrap up the show with some random life shit. I promise you, you do not want to miss it. So hang tight through the podcast or fast forward to the end. If that's, if that's more your style uh, to hit that. That's what you're button. here for. Yeah. But boys, <laughs> We're together, Scotty. How are you feeling? I want to know what is your what is your because you don't have a the green egg that is the famous meat smoking device. I do not. All right, and you don't have a traditional a, smoker. So how are we doing this brisket on Sunday? And I'm Saturday, a Weber man. Say. You're a Weber. I'm man. a Weber man. So uh, don't you worry. You're uh, you're pretty little head of hair, Jeff. Uh, we are going to 
get the brisket right. Uh, I've got charcoal baskets set up uh, so that we can smoke on the uh, on the charcoal grill uh, without directly uh, cooking the meat. Uh, it'll be all indirect heat and smoke. So let's go. We got indirect. It. We're ready to go. See now, I think yeah. this is brilliant because the 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 meat smoking world, especially like on social media, is so fucking full of themselves. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Like me they, too. they're always like, oh man, you're not doing it on a green egg. Then you don't know how to, it's like, dude, you, you need smoke and you need a, a container to contain the smoke and a yeah. rack to put the freaking meat on it. Like we're good. Yeah. We're does, good. You don't We've need got... some $10,000 clay yeah. freaking green. It's all egg. about the flavor, baby. No, all about the flavor. Put it on the rack on the, on the charcoal grill. I've got some hickory chunks. We're going to throw in there. Keep the fire going a little We're bit have to a stoke day. the smoke and then uh and i'm gonna trim it and and rub it tomorrow and let it sit overnight and throw it on the grill at uh probably about 7 38 in the morning tomorrow or yes, on Saturday. yeah yes yes we will yes we will i cannot wait uh i got a nice little trip planned next week that i'm looking forward to as well so look we got lots of stuff going on but most importantly boys we got a great great weekend of football that's starting right now as we are recording this podcast we got the washington football team and the giants getting ready to kick off we saw limited action from saquon tonight and i love this this thing that we've kind of done here in the first couple weeks which is that we've recorded a few times as there's a game going on you know and 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 now we, we can kind of give our picks and by the time the folks at home are listening to the pod They'll be able to tell whether we're idiots or more of idiots than they already thought we were. So uh, I want and, and some great feedback I heard too is like uh, what people love too is not only are we going to give you our picks, we're going to be excited throughout this game. And I'm going to like let's say I picked the wrong team, but I'm getting excited because they're driving, and you guys are like this this idiot. He doesn't he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, right? Like it's going to yeah. be a good time. We're going to hear some 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 stray curse words that get thrown in there. We're going to hear some. Oh, some grunts, <laughs> right? Some of this is all going to get mixed into it because you guys will know who our picks are. So Vito's, before, Vito's before, got Saquon going tonight. Uh, quick <laughs> updates. League. Quick updates on our picks against the spread through two weeks. Vito, I guess technically he's at an advantage because he basically missed all of week two. Uh, Vito is five and three, going back to our week one college football picks. Scotty is a dead even fourteen and fourteen. Through two weeks, that's week one of college, uh, week one of the NFL plus two weeks of college football, and I am fifteen and thirteen through two weeks NFL and college. So I will we'll start the pod with this, boys. Right now, the Washington Football Team. This game is in Landover, Maryland. The football team is the home team. Right now, Washington is is giving three and a half points. Who do you guys have against the spread? And we'll uh, we'll get into the rest of the games coming up this weekend after this. I I'll I'll stick with Washington. I still think Taylor Heineke is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones will ever be in the NFL. Uh, Saquon Solo banged up. It's slick out there tonight, out there in Washington. It's uh it's been raining since about uh, what Jeff about three thirty four o'clock around here. Dude, it was um, monsooning here. Yeah, in Northern Virginia. So monsooning. it's slick. That's those are not ideal conditions for a guy coming off a, an entire knee uh, uh, demolishment. Uh, for uh for him to be cutting and, and slashing and be as elusive as he usually is um so i don't expect him to be 
as involved, uh, probably a little more involved than in uh, in week one, but not as involved uh, as he fully is capable of. So uh, give me the offensive weapons and the stellar defense of the Washington football team to cover. I'm having a hard time with this one because I really want to go Washington, but I think I'm going to go Giants. And why I say that is take the points. Um, yeah, I'm taking the points. When in doubt, and you have take Saquon. the points. It's going to be a close game. I agree, but with Saquon Galladay, I, they performed okay against my Broncos last week. They they actually didn't. They actually performed no, they poorly. Look, they, but they look terrible. They had a couple moments, and I know Washington looked great, but it's also it's a harder as a quarterback who's coming in. They didn't really scout for you, and now they have a full week. And maybe you don't have as much tape, but still, there's something about it. Um, and maybe it's just I need to I need to climb back up in, in our internal rankings of of game picks. So I'm going to go with the Giants. Well, so I, I like I, I like the rationale on both sides. But I think what makes this game tricky to pick is that we're talking about a New York Giants versus Washington football team matchup that a it's the NFC East. Right. So you just you never know what the outcome is going to be. Uh, B, yeah, the, the, and and the big reason I'm leaning towards Washington in this is that I think the Giants need Saquon way more than most teams need a running back, right? Because he's just so supremely talented. And we're talking about a field that has snatched more ACLs and more Achilles than any other in the history of pro football. And it has done nothing but downpour rain since 1 p.m. this afternoon here in Northern Virginia. And I, I just I have a hard time thinking that when Saquon's not 100 percent, they're not going to. And he was also very limited. I think he ended up with like 10 carries in, in, in week yeah, one. Only 10. Um, one. Yeah. So when, when you see those kinds of numbers, it's concerning to me to think, all right, they're not they can't use Saquon as a as a workhorse guy this week. They probably were going to be hesitant to do that anyway. And by the way, Devonte Booker is a daily fantasy bet, which. I don't know why I said that because like, this is really just for you two. Cause anyone listening to this, uh, you know, we're time traveling basically, but <laughs> I, I look at the, the Washington football team here as a, as a distinct favorite covering the three and a half will be tough, but I think they can get it done with a touchdown. I I'm going to, I'm not going to change my pick against the spread, but I will change my pick from the heart uh, for my, my good friend Kirk out at the Safeway. Uh, shout out to Kirk at the Braymar Safeway again, a loyal listener of the pod. Uh, he's a big Giants fan, so I will pick from the heart say, is for, Kirk for the Giants. Giants I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick against the spread. Yeah, he's a big. We should, Giants. we should try to get Kirk on for a segment. We should, we yeah, should try we'll to. See. I gotta, I gotta make to a beer run tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, ask, ask him what his availability is because I think he's become, he's become our, our number one, number one fan on the pod. Uh, and, and honestly, it'll. it'll it'll give us a little more depth, right? I need another NFC East fan to kind of go back and forth with <laughs> oh, you yeah. guys. You guys both are, too, you have too much of a soft spot for Philly, right? And it, it, listen, the NFC East, it's all nice and stuff, but like, you're right. You need the fans talking shit on each other. There's nothing like a Dallas fan walking through Philly with like a Dak Prescott Jersey on a Saturday or Sunday, just like even a Friday afternoon as everyone's getting excited to leave work. And they're just like, man, fuck you. And it's they like instantly it's become the, public enemy. With a smile. One. Yeah. But it's like with a smile, they're like, ah, I'm so excited. We have someone to root against and like someone to go talk shit to. It's Philly, like the Philly, like love Philly, lo- Philly loves nothing more than having someone else to not like mm-hmm. and to justify it in their own brains without seeming too crazy. Uh, That's why I, I identify with him. 
it was cool. Like where, where I went to school, I, I was surrounded by primarily Washington football team and Dallas Cowboys fans because uh, unfortunately so many young kids are brainwashed to become Cowboys fans. Cause at least in, in our era, because their parents, you know, I've, I've always had this theory when it comes to fandom, like you should root for the team that you're from the area or whoever your parents rooted for. Like those are the two most justifiable rationales for being a fan of a team. And there are a lot of, I mean, think about it. There's only 32 NFL teams and there's a lot more people, a lot more cities than that in the country. So if you don't have a quote unquote local team, then, you know, you're kind of a free agent as a fan. You can kind of sign up to root for whoever you want. And unfortunately, because of the, the created narrative of, you know, the America's team bullshit, so many people have, become Cowboys fans over the year that you find Cowboys fans everywhere. I grew up, I guess I was going to school in Virginia. So we had a ton of Washington football team fans. And then, you know, there was you know, a lot of Giants fans. So like I've always been surrounded by at least three of the four NFC East teams. And the podcast is kind of a safe space where it's like, I know you guys are kind of low key rooting for the Eagles behind, you know, behind your uh, team not this week, yeah. not this week. And you know what, Scotty, that's great because the first game I want to talk about, and I think the one we just kind of have to get off the table here, is the Eagles and the Niners. And so this weekend, you and I are going to have a great time on Saturday. I will begrudgingly be rooting for your Nittany Lions, even though there will be a small piece of me kind of pulling for Brian Hartson and, and, and Bo Nix just because, you know, schadenfreude, right? Happiness of the misfortune of others. But the main reason we're getting together this weekend and we're doing all this is because the Niners and the Eagles are playing. We have to double check the tapes. I'm pretty sure if you go back to one of our podcasts in the spring, when we were talking about the schedule, we we're talking about the draft, this game came up and we had a bet made. If we don't have one now, we will have one by the time kickoff starts. But this is one of the few games that is uniquely interesting in terms of how legit are the Eagles after week one? And on the flip side, do we have reasons to be concerned about the San Francisco 49ers or did they just get kind of lethargic? Now, Vito, we did not get a chance to talk to you post Eagles win. And I kind of covered it for the boys here, but I am curious as someone who has believed in Jalen hurts for a long time, as someone yeah. who has, has, you know, kind of stood on that flag do you feel vindicated yet, or do we still need to see more from Jalen Hurts before we can officially anoint him as the next "quote unquote" guy in Philadelphia? I feel like it's a it's a staircase, and we're like it's eight steps, and we're on like step two. You know, it mm. feels good to take another step, but I, I feel that we're on our way there, and I won't feel vindicated until he's considered a very like a, a good quarterback in the NFL, which it takes a while to get there, especially when you're young and you, you know, really haven't started a full season yet. Like, I think you got to start 16 games. You're going to have a couple down slumps, but you really need to show what you can do week in and week out. And he's the kind of guy who puts that work in. So that's why I'm really excited. I think he will be there. So vindicated, not yet. When at the end of the season, you know, they're pushing for the playoffs. Um, that's when I know that he'll be vindicated. You know what? I think that's a fair analysis. Now, I will say this. You've been on the side of Jalen Hurts as not just a, a competent NFL quarterback, but is going to be a great NFL quarterback. Yeah, so, I think Pro Bowl. 
so so your level of vindication might be different than say someone like me who has been cautiously right. optimistic but i've also watched the dude super in cautiously right yeah, yeah. like i, I well, watched the dude in college yeah. i know i am but even like removing the fandom aside right just even as a guy like i mean we had kind of been friends we'd played fantasy for a year but in the pandemic when they drafted him second round I wish there had been a camera on me to watch my reaction to when they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round last year, because it, it, again, I said this to Scott, I was like, the Eagles are one of the few things in my life that I allow myself to get irrational for in the moment, right? Like during Uh the week, I, I will, I will take the blinders off. I will bet against them. I will, you know, pick against them. Like I have no problem doing that, but, Welcome to Penn State football for me. That and moment, dude, that <laughs> moment, like I was livid. I reacted like a lunatic at that moment because I was like, <laughs> we need to help Carson Wentz. What are we fucking doing? Like I was, I was an insane person and, and, you know, allowing myself to justifiably be an insane person is not something I like to do often, but I let myself do it with the Eagles and that Jalen Hurts pick was there. What week one did for me was tell me that I don't need to be worried about the competency in terms of a base level. You know what I mean? Like, I I believe Jalen Hurts is going to be a good quarterback or at least a usable starting quarterback in the NFL, which is something I didn't necessarily believe. There was a part of me that thought, okay, he could be good or he could be Taysom Hill, but just a little bit better. And because everything we saw in college was more of that than the other. Scotty, I want to go to you. Go ahead, Vita. Well, I was just going to say the last point, and then we'll throw this over to Scotty. I wonder if you agree with me or not, but I, I think especially when it came to the NFL and the draft, the expectation of the Eagles fans was so different. Like, why would you draft a quarterback, right? I think that was a lot of it. And so I get the shock at that point, but as evaluating a prospect, I just always thought he was, he was – going to make it and, and do well in the NFL. I like his work ethic. I like a lot of things about his actually like how he plays the game. Um, very mistake free. And, and that's the reason why like the Broncos got rid of Drew Locke. I mean, you can have yeah. all the arm talent in the world, but if you're throwing picks, you can go sell on the bench. So I'm excited to see this Eagles really good defense and, and Jalen hurts with some pretty good skill players around on the, you know, all of the, I always call them quarterback friendly positions where it's like, you need a tight end and running backs. Like yeah. that's the first thing you need a wide receiver too, but like you get those, you're going to be comfortable and the Eagles have that. So uh, and, Dev- and, and look, I mean, Devontae Smith, looked Devontae awesome. Smith. I mean, oh, man, he looked first great. drive. That touchdown was awesome. He led the, t- he had seven catches for 73 yards and a touchdown. I mean, an amazing day from him. And then you, you throw in Jalen Rager on that little, on that little, you know, screen bubble screen touchdown was awesome. Like there's a lot to be said. And then on top of it too, like, Dallas Goddard had an amazing touchdown catch. Zach Ertz was used in a couple things, and Miles Sanders had a good day. And it all starts up front with the offensive line, and they're older, and they have talent and all that, blah, blah, blah. But, like, there was a lot to it. What's interesting there, Vito, is that I, you and I looked at it almost from an inverse perspective, which is that you like Jalen Hurts coming out as a prospect. I did not. I mm-hmm. didn't think, regardless of what team he went to, that he was going to be a good quarterback. I had to flip my perspective as an Eagles fan and go, like, I want Jalen Hurts to be good, you know, especially <laughs> yeah, after the Carson Wentz trade. Like I didn't want him to be good until they traded Carson Wentz. I'm like, all right, well now I really want this guy to be good. And then I had to kind of grow through it where you were like, 
hey, like, I want this guy to be good, but then you see the expectations and the situation that he's in. You're like, all right, now I don't know if he's going to be good. From the 49ers perspective, Scott, this this line right now is jaw-dropping. Right now, the Niners are the, the Niners are only a three-point favorite in Philadelphia. Now I get they're on the road, so even playing field, you'd say, all right, that's a six-point line. You know, you give about two to three points there for the home for the home team, especially in an environment like Philadelphia, home opener, all that stuff. But do you think that the needle has swung too much into the other direction when we're talking about the San Francisco 49ers? Because I personally think that it has. I mean, they dominated Detroit, which we're not high on Detroit. And I really feel like the second half of that game was more Detroit being like, hey, we're up 31 to 10 at halftime. We're good rather than legitimate problems that this team has. Yeah, no, I, I think part of the, the narrative in that this decision from Vegas is really the injuries that we suffered, uh, the 49ers suffered last week. They lost their starting running back in Raheem Mostert, who's now out for the year. They lost their, uh, their number one cornerback in, uh, in uh, Jason Verrett. He's out for the year. Um, granted, they're deep at, at running back. There's still question marks at quarterback. Um, you know, uh, how long is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be in there? Uh, so I think all of those things, and Ayuk too, was just completely absent from the game, and we don't know whether or not we're going to see him uh, uh, playing up to his full uh, capability. Um, based on the quote from um, from Kyle Shanahan earlier this week about uh, about if he wanting if he wants to be out there, he's, he's got to work for it. So I mean, I think all of those things kind of played a, a role in in the uh, in the line uh, at that rate. Uh, I still think just look at, uh, at talent wise. I think this, these are probably two of the top five defenses in the league right now. Uh, just the way they played on, on Sunday um, this past Sunday. So uh, I, three points makes a lot of sense to me, um, but I, yeah, it's, it's going to be a close game, Jeff. I really think so. I think Jalen hurts is better than you think he is. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's just my pessimistic viewpoint as an Eagles fan. But Vito, do you, I mean, I, I do feel like three points to a San Francisco 49ers team that I, I get the Verrett injury is huge. And losing Raheem Mostert after the talent and the burst we've seen from him is a bummer, especially as someone who owns him in one of my fantasy, well, had him in one of my fantasy leagues. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. was able to pick but up I mean, Elijah, like Elijah Mitchell, but like that's a team that can run the ball with any run. Hey, that's what I'm thinking too. I mean, it's the Kyle Shanahan yeah. offense. It's what we had in Denver with Mike Shanahan, that zone running zone blocking. <clears throat> You're going to be okay. It's the one cutbacks. Like they're going to be fine at running back. Um, and I, I'm with you, Jeff. I think that I'm surprised this line went down to what it was. Like I believe in the Eagles for sure. I just think that <clears throat> with the overall team and the talent that the 49ers have and the depth they have, um, you know, it's, they have talent throughout their whole roster. The Eagles do too, but the Eagles are more like defensive line. Um, but they're and, they're and not they that deep pieces. in the they're not that deep in the secondary. The 49ers. That's been our our pain point for years. And to lose Jason Verrett, now we got to go up against Jalen Rager, who can burn you deep. We got to go up against Devontae Smith, who can burn you deep. Yeah, but it's now not like the yeah, but it's not like the 49ers are running like man to man with no coverage over the on, top. They're on, not running on top of that three. too. Rager and Devontae Smith combined have less than 16 total games in the NFL. You know, like, so like, I, yeah, I don't and, get me wrong. And, and their the quarterback has there. a few too. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is going to be the sixth career start for Jalen Hurts. I, 
I'm surprised that the number has dropped as low as it has. I think part I, of it I is too. I think part of it is Eagles overreaction, and I think part of it is I think it's overreaction on both sides. The the thing and I'm that wondering would, on the betting line is like because a lot of times sometimes the line adjusts to where the money goes, right? And I yeah, bet a lot of people. You're right. It's the first week. Everyone wants to say like, oh, this team won, so they're going to win again. And it's like, hold on. This is where you get into the overreaction mode in the NFL. It happens in betting. It happens in fantasy. It happens everywhere where it's like, oh, this person did well. This person didn't. I got to make sure I get that person. It's like, listen, take four weeks. I always say that. Wait for the quarter poll of the of the season. You know, I guess now it's not technically is a 17th game, but like, wait, let's see what happens. Yeah, um, I stick with my preseason evaluation until we see like some dramatic things happen the first four games. And for that reason, I'm with you, Jeff. I think this is an overreaction. And I 100% think the 49ers should, I was going to thought they would be like five, five and a half point favorites. I think it, I think it opened at five and a half or six and a half. Uh, oh, wow, I, okay. I'd have to go back and double check, but I do think the line, the, the betting alone and the money that's coming on the Eagles has, has just, has just kind of hammered that line down a little bit. Now, where I think you're absolutely dead on, Scott, is I do think this will be a game. But I think it's worth noting that if the Eagles don't have those two, you know, goal goal line stands, essentially, I mean, they were red zone stops where they held the Falcons to field goals in the first two drives where they got all the way up to the five yard line both times and a couple injuries hold them back. I mean, that game against Arizona or against Atlanta could have been 14 to, to seven. You know, that those six points that Atlanta scored could have been 14 very easily. And I think with Kyle Shanahan running that offense against the first time uh, defensive coordinator and Gannon for the Eagles, I, I just I'm a little more bullish on the Niners in this than I think you are. But if the Eagles come out and play tough defense because that front seven is really good, the secondary played well. And again, without a Brandon Ayuk. And then you're, you're, you know, you're talking about the defensive side, like Nick Bosa is going to have a tough time going up against Jordan Mailotti. He's going to have a tough time going up against Lane Johnson. I, no matter where you line him up, I think the the Niners defensive line is going up against one of the most underrated offensive lines in football. I think, I, I think this is going to be a game, but I think the Niners do end up winning by touchdown. We'll get to that with our picks against the spread here at the end of the game. Um, Bears, Bengals, there's not a whole lot to gleam into this other than why hasn't, you know, J- Matt Nagy started Justin Fields. We saw glimpses of Justin Fields on, on Sunday night, not enough to make us really yeah. feel confident that we're going to see a steady flow of this. But I think all three of us are on the Joe Burrow train. Vito, my big takeaway on, on Tuesday's pod was that we've found, like Cincinnati's found their guy, hometown kid. Joe Burrow is the guy. I'm not bought into Zach Taylor being the guy. Is this going to be one of those seasons where it's very clear that the quarterback is there? We need a change in head coach in your eyes. Or do you think by season's end, Zach Taylor still hangs on to that Bengals job? You know, that's a great question. And I honestly, I'm wondering how the rest of the team plays. I do think they have their quarterback. And on the head coaching side, it's going to be more of how does the rest of the offense come together? Um, I think everyone's been worried about protection. And so that's also how you call the game, how you scheme for opponents. What are you doing? Are you, are, do you have a tight end set in and a running back? Are you chipping when you go out? Like, how, how are you scheming your entire offense around this young quarterback that I think we all believe in? Um, and if you can do that and show that as a coach, 
I think he'll stick around. I think if it comes down to the end and you see him dropping back in five wide situations and slinging it 40 times a game, you should get rid of that coach. I, I don't care if you're losing and you're trying to come back. You can do it in a way with three routes or four routes going out. But if I start seeing five wide, that's when I'm going to bail on that coach. Um, so, that's my take. So Buffalo did that, though, to great success with a new quarterback in Josh Allen. So why wouldn't it work that, with, with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati? Well, I, well, I, I think the only protection because, was different. Well, I mean, I think the protection was bad in both cases, but I think that the difference was Joe Burrow. I, I don't need the, to see the reps out of Joe Burrow that I need to see out of Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen was a bigger question mark at quarterback <clears throat> than Joe Burrow is. Joe Burrow and was a much better athlete an incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Joe, and on top of it too, there wasn't a devastating knee injury that Josh Allen had to kind of overcome. But what I'll say, Vito, is I thought the play calling was actually really well done on the part of the Bengals, which was that they ran the ball. Was it 29 carries for Joe Mixon? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. And, and as, opposed, as opposed to only 25 throw, uh, passing attempts for, for Joe Burrow. It, it, it's the overall management of the team that, like, Zach Taylor could be one of those coaches that if, like, if he was ever given a second shot as a head coach, I think would be – far better in year number in his second team stint than he is right now. It was, it uh, was, okay. you know, it was the timeout call. Uh, you know, it was <clears> the <throat> challenge that he fucked up. Like there are certain things with Zach Taylor in terms of just managing a football team in the moment on an NFL Sunday that, that he almost blew single-handedly blew that game away for the bank, for the Vikings. The other thing Vito, while we have you as well, we almost had a tie. Oh my God, dude. I know. Oh my How God. How close were you to almost missing a flight because you were getting prepped for a potential tie night, which for our, our listeners who are unfamiliar or new to the pod, Vito has a, a tradition he does with some of his boys that anytime there's an, a tie in an NFL game, he and his boys will get hammered regardless of when it is. And we'll play Xbox with each other and, and be on Xbox live until late into the night even to the point where he has a special bottle of tequila that is specifically set aside for random ties in the NFL. And the Bengals sorry, are, are the most, yes, the, the Bengals are the most tie, you know, they've tied more, more games than any other team in NFL history. They really tie well, and, one and not on. to mention, <laughs> there it goes. Scotty, and not to yes. mention, they, uh, th- most ties occur in weeks one and two in the NFL. That's just the way it goes. Um, over the last 10 years, cause I've been doing this tie bet now this, uh, for about five. Um, and it's really, it's, first of all, it's a great, it's a great thing to do with some friends. I highly recommend you guys get together all buy the same tie bottle and do it. We take off work the next day. It's a little random, but damn, is it fun? But we are so close. So we have a group text and we all send out tie alert and like everyone gets amped for it, but yeah, the field goal went in, um, what can you do? It saved me from, uh, cause the next day was Monday. I was going to the machine Gun Kelly concert up in New York city. So you guys, that was a great time, but I had a bunch of stuff planned for the next day. So I was like, Oh shit. I really hope. This uh, you're be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I hope we made it. And I'm See, glad I was, did. that's exactly what it was. I was happy for you, but I was pissed because I had, I had the Vikings money line in a parlay and I just needed the Vikings to win. And it would have been like I had a four team parlay. And it was the only get, it was the only bet I made on NFL Sunday because I cleaned house in college football with my bets. So I was like, all right, I want to, I want to end the weekend on a positive note. I don't want to blow any, yeah. of the, any of the money, you know, cause I'm not a big roller with betting. Like I'll throw like 
three, four dollars down, and I'll do like an elaborate kind of parlay that has big upside. So I was I was happy for you, but I was devastated that you know the Vikings couldn't find, especially with that fumble when they were in the Bengals red zone. Ugh. But thirteen points in an NFL game is a lot for a team to try to cover the spread. And we talked about it last week how uh, how rare it is to see you know, double digit spreads, even in the NFL compared to what we see in college football week in and week out, which is sometimes 25 point spreads, depending on your matchup. I just, I was, I just came away with Cleveland really impressed and, and the fact that they're playing at home. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be an interesting line to watch. That is the definition of a gambler's game. You know what I mean? Like that, that game is, is not a game for like, your average fan will look at that game and be like, eh, whatever. I don't really care what the Browns do against the Texans. But if you're a gambler, if you're someone who likes to spread a little bit of money, especially, you know, in parlays and stuff, and I'll put this too, that game will be teased like a motherfucker. That, oh, yeah. that, that, is, oh, yeah. that is the tease game of the week between the Browns and the Texans. All right. Uh, other one o'clock matchups. We got the Rams and the Colts as the next one up on the list. I, I I said a little bit of this and I and on, on Tuesday's pod and I went back and I watched the Colts game against uh, who do they play on on Sunday I'm I'm blank Seattle I went back and I, and I rewatched Carson Wentz because I was mm. I was very harsh on Carson Wentz on Tuesday no way and I think <laughs> I think it was as I said to Scotty I said yeah. I was like I said I could. I could be mean to Carson Wentz now. You know, I could I could say that he's trash. He wasn't trash. He wasn't trash. But in my defense, I did say that he looked better than he did last year, which granted is a very low bar to try to, you know, to try to to try to cover. I am curious here uh, on both of your opinions because we have two quarterbacks in two new cities with head coaches that, you know, are going to supposedly get the most out of one looked good on Sunday. One didn't. Which do you think is more accurate to what we'll see throughout the longevity of the season? Do you think we see more Matt Stafford being what we saw on Sunday night, which was great, but look, the Rams definitely did not have the gas on the pedal or the foot on the gas, whatever you want to say. Or that Carson Wentz maybe has more life to him than I gave him credit for on Tuesday. I think it's closer to the fact that Matt Stafford is going to be this guy. He's going to be the leader of this Rams team, and he's going to be able to take him back from behind. Like the defense is great, we know that, but they're going to get in some tough spots. And I'm very excited after we saw what he did. Just the toughness he has, his arm strength, what he's willing to deliver down stretches. You know, I think he had a a two minute drill in the first half. That was just, there are a couple of really impressive parts of his game when you're like, Oh, that's still Matt Stafford, but Oh shit. Look at him with a great defense and a coach that is really tailoring to him. You know, I, I'm really excited for this Rams team. And, and on the flip side with the Colts, I think, yes, uh, Carson Wentz played better than the credit you gave him. But, but what's wild to me to think about is that both these teams last year had like a top five defense, right? The Rams and the Colts, both of them um, ran the ball. Well, uh, actually the Colts ran the ball better than the Rams. But at the end of the day, when you look at these teams, their makeups from last year are kind of similar to each other. But I think this year the Rams will take a stride past the Colts um, or the Colts will maybe regress a little bit. It's, it's just, isn't it kind of weird to think about that? Like 
the Colts quarterback last year was, um, oh my God, Philip Rivers. Thank you, Philip Rivers. And and like now they have Carson Wentz, and it's just like wait, like what? You know this this all happened so fast, but like where's Andrew Luck? Andrew Luck's still like I feel like if he came out of retirement, Kobe Brissett. Yeah, like I don't know. It's just so weird <laughs> to think about the Colts and what they've gone through and how they're like a defensive team now. I don't know if uh, people our age in their late twenties or, or even mid twenties like. Uh, it's kind of a change of pace for this team, you, especially when um, when we grew up with the Peyton Manning era. Yeah, like we just right? you see the horse, and then on top of the Andrew Luck right after, and, and the irony being that you know Wentz is Andrew Luck ish in terms of you know never letting the play die, using his legs and certain things. Just Andrew Luck is just way better, and and I don't think it's close. Yeah, Scotty, which which of these two quarterbacks? Do you, do you see as being, you know, more consistent from what we saw in week one? Not to be an NFC homer, but it's got to be Stafford. I mean, if you talk about talent alone, I think Stafford probably has the edge anyway. Um, that, that can be an argument, but uh, just look at what Stafford finally has around. Well, I don't want to say that. He had some weapons in, in Detroit. He had Calvin Johnson for like seven years, so... But still, at the at the volume of, of talent that he's got around him, uh, Cooper Cup, who had uh, I s- said as we were doing our, our previews this year that I still think he's an elite receiver. He proved a seven seven for one hundred eight in the touchdown, um, and, and all of those touchdowns were long. He got a sixty seven yard touchdown right out of the gate to Van Jefferson for Matthew Stafford. So he's yeah. letting it loose a little bit, and he still he didn't have big games out of out of out of uh, Robert Woods and and Tyler Higby still. Uh, still out there to throw to. So I, I mean, given what's around him, I think Stafford has the means and the ability to play better than what, uh, what Carson Wentz uh, talent wise and what's around him have been given. I agree, but here's what I'll say in defense of Carson Wentz. And I can't believe it's the year 2021 Carson Wentz is no longer an Eagle, but yet I'm still going to defend the guy. I, I don't think Carson Wentz was as bad uh, I, I think his season will look better than what we saw. Like, I still think there are going to be mo- like, this is going to be like 2018 and 2019 when we saw the flashes in Philadelphia of Carson Wentz. I said, why can't this dude do it consistently? I still think we're going to see those moments from Carson Wentz from this Indianapolis Colts team. My bigger concern, I guess, in regards to this game, and, and I mentioned it on Tuesday pod, Tuesday's pod is just, I don't believe in the roster around Carson Wentz. Like, yes, he's got Nick uh, Frank Reich back, but I asked you this, Scott, and Vito, I would love your thoughts on this too. Is this Colts roster really that much better than what Carson Wentz has had in Philly throughout his career, even excluding the the Super Bowl year? Because I I don't think it is. Oh, God. No, I don't think it is either. I think the Eagles team is more talented. Well, I'll say this. I think last year's defense for the Colts – uh, overperformed. Um, so maybe I'm calling them, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what I'm getting at here, but without a doubt, especially on the offensive side um, and just overall team depth. Yeah. I mean, think about the lines and the difference, like, yes, they have Quentin Nelson, but there, there aren't like, you know, they run the ball well and, and Jonathan Taylor is there, but who like but Jonathan Taylor side did and, and just the receiver. Yeah. I mean, the receiving no, room is decimated. I, I no think he's talented though. I think he's talented. I, oh, no I think T.Y. Hilton at this point is so old. Like, it's isn't it wild to think like T.Y. Hilton used to be one of those top fantasy guys? Like, 
eight years ago. It's not or old. Something. And he's not even playing anymore. Like he's not, he has not played. He's hurt right now. Right. His best receiving option in week one was Zach Pascal. I mean, like say what you will about Nelson Aguilar. At least Aguilar was a first round pick. At least he had Zach Ertz, who is a borderline hall of fame tight end. You know, Zach Ertz holds the record for the most receiving or most receptions in a season by tight end. You know, like Carson. Unlike Wentz, Aguilar. Unlike, unlike Aguilar. You know what I mean? Like, like Carson Wentz had <laughs> better options when the offensive line was healthy, which is the big change last year for the Eagles, which they had 13 different offensive line combinations start the 2020 season. The offensive line, when it was healthy in 17, 18, 19, was better than, than what the, the Colts have, even with Quentin Nelson. And yes, Jonathan Taylor is a better running back than he had. But when you know that you the Jonathan Taylor is the biggest threat that you have, defenses know that coming in. And they're going to test Carson Wentz and say, Carson, you have to beat us. If you're going to beat us, you have to be the reason. And I just didn't see the changes that we needed to see from Carson in terms of, hey, take the check down. I heard Trent Dilfer talk about this on Ryan Masillo's podcast, and I thought it was a really brilliant observation. And he said, Carson Wentz should stop hunting and he should start golfing because when you hit a bad shot in golf and you're, you're out in the woods, but you find your ball and you see this little sliver, right? You see, it's like, there's a little window that I can, I can hit a little punch shot out and and advance on the fairway, or you have a wide open to your left that you can just, you know, chip back out into the fairway and live to fight another shot. Carson Wentz takes that tiny window every single time. And yeah, I respect the uh, aggression and I, I, I respect his desire to want to make the big play, but you can't be a long-term sustainable quarterback in the NFL without realizing that you need to be able to check the ball down. And I thought that was a really, really good analogy. All that being said, I do think Carson Wentz will be better than what we saw on Sunday, but I'm with you both in that Matthew Stafford, I think just kind of scratched the surface and when we see the, the Rams play a team like, I don't know, the, I don't know if the Bills are on their schedule, but a team like the Bills, you know, or Arizona or any of the other teams in the NFC West, we're going to see a whole nother level of Matt Stafford. And I'm really excited for it. All right. Uh, Pats, Jets. I don't think there's a whole lot to get in here. Right now, the Patriots are a six point favorite. You know, we talked a little bit about it on, uh, on, on, Tuesday's pod, but we didn't get into it enough, I think. But quickly, I just kind of want to get both of y'all's reaction to Mac Jones. Because I think we talked a lot about Tua, and we talked a lot about, you know, I still don't see it from Tua. Even though we won the game, I'm still not high on Tua. And we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Mac Jones looked in control, comfortable, making the right decisions time after time. He looked, like I said on Tuesday, Tom Brady-esque in that same offense. It looked like this is the same offense that the Pats ran with Tom Brady for all those years and with uh, JD, uh, um, uh, Josh McDaniels. I don't know why I put a JD there. Did you see the same thing, Vito? Did you see Mac Jones not not being Tom Brady, but, you know, kind of like wearing a, like a guy wearing a Tom Brady jersey playing in a pickup game almost? <laughs> what I wrote down is professional. Mm. I, he just seemed like a professional. He takes his job professionally. He puts the right amount of time in. He seems like a true professional. 
And obviously, like when you think of that, you think of the Patriots. So I think that's why you get that Tom Brady vibe a little bit from him. Um, I also compare that directly to Bill Belichick, right? So it just seems like a Patriots fit. I'm really excited to see what happens now. He threw the ball 39 times last week. And listen, unless you have Tom Brady or another elite quarterback, like I don't care who you are, your first year, you cannot be throwing the ball 39 times and expect to win games. Um, and it, Belichick knows that. Josh McDaniels knows that. So um, I'm excited to see what they can do here next week or, or this week. I'm sorry. Um, you know, against the Jets. And I think they have a big opportunity here, especially since it's a divisional game. Like they're, they're going to be up for this one. Um, so this should be pretty fun with the rookie quarterback matchup and, and see what's going on there. But I, I would think the Patriots would be able to run the ball more effectively and, and keep not, not let him throw so much, but clearly when he does, you're right. He, he seemed like he was prepared. Yeah, I'm, I'm give me another week of that and, and I'll be on that train, but he does look, and I, I said this a lot in the preseason because uh, they happened to be on, I think right when we were drafting in our fantasy league. And I was like, Mac Jones looks like sharp, like not just a college quarterback sharp. Like he's hitting guys on, on short routes. He's throwing, he's making smart throws. He's making the throw that is to the receiver that the defender can't possibly get. Uh, and he's he's making that happen on his own. It's not the the receiver making the play. So uh, credit there, but don't discount the ways when Zach Wilson settled in in the second half of that game against Carolina last week. He looked he looked really good and composed. Um, I don't think he'll he's anywhere near the the composure level of Mac Jones yet, and he's certainly on a worse team and now really banged up with the offensive line. Uh, Makai Becton out for four to six weeks, so. Uh, and that's their best offensive lineman. So, um, you know, I, Mac Jones, though, I, I think has has the edge uh, right now as, as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I'll put it this way. I thought Mac Jones, and, and you're definitely spot on. I just, I can't remember a quarterback coming in as a rookie and looking as just comfortable, right? Like every rookie quarterback has those moments where it's like, Oh yeah, he's a rookie. There was not a single moment of that going up against a really good defensive coach in and Brian Flores and a really good defense against arguably the the best secondary in in all of the NFL, at least at the cornerback position in Miami. And yet, I love what you said there, Scott, about he was putting the ball in places that only his wide receivers were able to make the catch. Right? He wasn't making risks. He wasn't taking risks. And I just, I think we're going to see more of the same. I think the Jets are a bad football team, but, you know, Zach Wilson looked good. And I think there's a freedom as a rookie when you know that there are no expectations, even in a place like New York, where you can just let it rip once your team's down by double digits. And Mike LaFleur is the offensive coordinator there for the Jets. And we know how the, you know, the, the LaFleur family between Matt LaFleur, the head coach of, the, uh, of uh, Green Bay, and now Mike LaFleur, or LaFleur who is another one of those guys who's kind of been along the, the Kyle Shanahan and the, and the Sean McVay route, they're going to let him open it up in second halves. I think this is just a team that's just going to take their servings for the most part of this year, massive turnover in their roster next year, and they're going to draft a ton of guys. Um, next game here I want to get into in the one o'clocks, and this is a, a game I don't – I honestly have – I'm having trouble – 
making up like, like how I think this is going to go, because I just have no idea how to judge the Raiders. Now I was vindicated on my prediction that I thought the Raiders would have one of those wins on Monday night. I said, i not only did I think they would cover the spread Monday night, but I thought that they would beat Baltimore because it's the home field. It's the first time you're playing in Vegas in front of the fans. And it just felt very Raiders to go into that game and win. And this game against Pittsburgh feels like a game where, you know, the Raiders are, are probably going to lose. Uh, I, I'm curious as for both of you guys watching that game Monday night. Where do you see this Raiders team? Because I, I flirted the idea out there when we did our preseason projections that this might be the last time we, not the last time, but this might, this season might be the season that starts the, Hey, is John Gruden done with the Raiders conversation? They put some of that to bed, at least for the time being on Monday night. Yeah. And I, in that preseason talk, I, I thought that he'd stick around, especially just because of his relationship with the Davis family. Um, but <clears throat> what I see out of this team was, you know, a balanced offense um, scheme. Like I, I thought the Raiders played pretty well and I'm pretty pissed about it as a Broncos fan. Like I don't want all of the teams in my division to look good. This sucks. Oh yeah. But, imagine how that would feel. Yeah. Right. You know, um, <laughs> now, I, I mean, know trust me, going. we had, we had winning teams in our division last year, Scott. So, you know, it's, it's a little different for us, but um, we, when you look at them, like as a team going up against the Steelers, that's a whole different story because I think I forgot, I don't know about you guys, but like, I almost forgot the Steelers went what 12 and 0 last year to start or whatever it was like, 13, 13 and 0 because of the way they ended and stumbled against the Browns and just didn't look good and got their ass kicked. It was one of those moments where we're talking about where the Steelers done. It was like, man, they, they had two bad days of football in a whole like season. Um, you know, they lost a few others, but they had two bad days of football and that's it. And like, I, I, it was incredible to see them, I think last week and I'm not picking against them until they give me a reason. Otherwise, like, I really believe in the Steelers. And I thought, with the loss of Dupree, uh, Bud Dupree on defense, it would make a huge hit. And I thought they would take a much bigger uh, step back. Um, and and at least in that first game, they showed otherwise. And I'm excited to see how they, they wrap this up. But I don't know, like, how, how are you feeling, Scott, about this matchup, specifically like this Raiders offense versus Steelers defense? So I think the Raiders offense looked better than – when we when we look at this in week 17, we're going to be like, oh, what? They were that good in week one? Uh, that's kind of how I feel. I think the Ravens' defense is a little more depleted than, uh, than they've let on, um, losing everyone that they did. And um, I really think that their offensive struggles are real. And I said this uh, a, few, uh, a few weeks ago when we were doing previews, uh, is that we talked a lot about the Harbaugh's and um, you know, it just gets stale. Like you can't expect to do the same thing. I, I don't care that you have your guy at quarterback. You've done nothing around him for, for how many years. And now it's unfortunate that, that one of the weapons that they thought was going to do that JK Dobbins is out for the year, but they're still now building their running game. They've had, what five six guys in the running back room cycling through that are like 29 or older that have been in the league for how long and so they're trying to figure that out and lamar's trying to still throw the ball but the offensive line doesn't look that great 
and I think that they just got beat by a Raiders team that was fired up playing at home in front of fans for the first time in Las Vegas. And the defense somehow turned that, that Al Davis torch into legit fire in their belly and, uh, and made some plays, but I don't think that defense is as good as they, they looked on, uh, on Monday night. And I certainly don't think that that offense is going to be as balanced. You can't target Darren Waller 20 times and expect that he's not even going to get double and triple T. Now Darren Waller can probably handle that because he's a great pass catcher, but, um, but you can't expect to, to run your offense through, through one guy like that and, and have it go well. And, and speaking of that Monday night game, I just want to ask you guys like that broadcast, with Peyton and Eli and everything like what, what was your take? Cause I thought that was one of the coolest things the NFL so has done in a while. It was so, so fun. It, it definitely I need more of that. It started off a little rough. You know, you yeah. could tell there was a little bit of like, Hey, we kind of got to get our, our, our stuff together here. But eventually once they just sat in and like all of their pre-prepared stuff kind of was out the door, they just, they, they were just, They're just watching ball, football man. like the like, rest of us. Yeah. Like, they again, like anytime you can make Russell Wilson seem likable and and like I want to listen to Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson talk more about football. Like when you can do that, it, it's very telling about what you have. Um, and I thought I thought it was great. And and I'm excited to watch more of the Peyton and Eli broadcast there on ESPN. That was the best. They started talking about fantasy football. I have Lamar on my fantasy team. Sorry, Russ. <laughs> yeah, right. A quick uh, score update. Score update. We got uh, Daniel Jones running touchdown for the Giants. They're up 7-0. Just punches his way Let's in. Go. There we go. Let's the go. Giants, the Giants are going to be a good, like I said, NFC East. You're going to see random shit happen, but like, I don't know, man. I mean, Chase Young's had a rough first two first week and a quarter so far. So we, we got to see a little more from uh, from the the all worldly pass rusher. Uh, when it comes to the Raiders, though, Scotty, you hit there's there's two things you hit that I thought were really important. Uh, Darren Waller, 19 targets. Derek Carr threw the ball 52 times. So we're talking about almost half of the total targets going to Darren Waller. Now he finishes with with 10 catches, 105 yards, a touchdown. I get it. That is not sustainable. Okay. And the other problem here is, yes, Josh Jacobs ends up with two rushing touchdowns. He had 10 carries, the longest run being for 15 yards, total of 34 yards with a 15 yard run being thrown in there. All right. So let's take wow. away the one 15 yard run. Yeah. Okay, and one of those touchdowns, about, there was a flag right before that put him into the, in yep. the scoring position. We're talking about shouldn't have been called but. nine rushes for 19 yards for Josh Jacobs. All right. And then if it's again, take that away. The next leading rusher is Marcus Mariota who hopped in in the first quarter and broke off a 31-yard read option run because Scotty even texted me and was like, the leading rusher through three (laughs) quarters is Marcus Mariota. It was unbelievable. This Raiders win is absolutely smoke and mirrors, flash in the pan, whatever other expression you want to come up with. I thought it was a very entertaining game, but I took – the, the main takeaway from Monday night was that the Ravens are in some serious trouble. And I don't think that they are the third. I, I think they are the third best team in the AFC North 
maybe even equal to wow. what the Bengals are. That that's so, just not that's, it's not a winning team. It's I, I think team I think defenses have figured out how you can prevent Lamar from taking over a game. And that's even including, yes, Lamar is going to have a hardball play calling. I think Lamar is going to have a a breakout play. He's just too talented not to. That is my takeaway from that game. And I think the Steelers defense is going to be a rude awakening for the Las Vegas Raiders. All right. We got two more games in the one o'clock window, and then we have to take a break. Uh, The, New Orleans Saints going up against the Carolina Panthers, 1-0 v. 1-0. I'm not really too interested in the game itself. I mean, I, I won't say that. I am curious to see how the, the, the Saints bounce back. I thought the Panthers looked better than what the numbers said that they did. But the main thing we need to talk about right now before we move on to – this is going to be back-to-back veto games here, by the way. Uh, veto, you have been Captain Jameis Winston – we, we talked about the Lasix, all right? I said to Scotty, I said, the first thing Jameis should have done post-game is call up whatever company did his Lasix and said, get me a sponsorship deal. Go ahead, man. I, I, I can't even set it up any better than that. Just go ahead. Because, I mean, look, through one game, again, it's only one game, but through one game, you've been very, very accurate when it came to this New Orleans Saints team, and in particular, Jameis Winston. I am so stoked because I came in here in preseason. My hot fucking take was that Jameis is going to be an MVP candidate. And reasonably, you guys laughed. Uh, But what's great about this is, you know, you had Sean Payton. You know, this offense is going to pull some stuff out. And I, he's talented. Listen, he threw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns last time he started a season. Yeah, he threw 30 picks too. But like you said, he got eye surgery. He's also has grown up a lot. He had one of the best post-game interview comments I've ever heard this week when they were like, so what, what, how did you guys like, how are you ready for the game? And, and he said, you know, our coaches told us to be prepared. My trainer said, what do you say? He just told us to be prepared. And like, that he was forgot whatever cliche like, he was yeah, going to totally <laughs> forgot. Is, it was even better. I'm like, this is the most, this is grown up Jameis. This is like, He's missing things, but he knows he's missing things. So just making up his new stuff. I loved it. He threw for five touchdowns, I think under 200 yards, which is honestly impressive. It is one uh, less than 150 yards. That's even better. Uh, he's efficient. Every 25 yards or so, he's getting a tutty. So the Jawan Johnson, go. baby. Penn State. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So he got two of them. So like, it's just impressive to see this team and this you know, come together. And I'm excited for Jameis. The no picks was the biggest part of that. Five touchdowns is great. No picks. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I do think he will continue to have success. And man, I'm just happy to be right on a super hot take. <laughs> At least for a week. It's early. All right. It's it's early to say that <laughs> it's you're early. right. All right. Let me, let, me, let me throw some water onto you a little bit here, Vito, okay? Because Jameis went 14 of 20 for 148 yards, okay? Normally, you see those two stats and you go, okay, this is a QB game manager. This is Alex Smith. All right, this is Trent Dilfer with the Ravens. There's not a whole lot. But then you see the five touchdowns. More than a third of his completions were touchdowns. Again, we just talked about sustainability with the Raiders offense. There's no way in hell that this game was sustainable. We also add the the hurricane aspect into it, right? This is a guy and a team that was playing for a city. We also throw into this 
I don't know what the hell to make of the Green Bay Packers. All right, I have no idea. I, my, my prediction is we're getting a Monday night game between Green Bay and Detroit this week, and I think Aaron Rodgers is going to set the freaking world on fire and say, oh, you all want to say I'm out? You want to say this? I think he I, – I don't know if he was proving a point. I don't buy into the whole he's trying to, to show, you know – the, the the Packers just how valuable he is and that he threw that game like all that stuff is conspiracy theory no, mumbo jumbo yeah. right I was impressed with what I saw from James but I'll, I'll do the same thing with you Vito that I did with uh with Scotty on Monday right when you look at the total team stats okay the Saints had 60 total plays the Packers had 52 okay the Saints had 151 passing yards the Packers had 186. The Saints had 170 rushing yards to the the Packers, 43. That was a big disparity. Penalties, five for Green Bay, six for New Orleans, right? Time of possession, 25 and a half for Green Bay, 34 and a half for New Orleans. When you look at just the team stats alone, it doesn't feel like this game was as dominant one way or the other. Now, obviously what we saw on the field was that, yes, this game was entirely one-sided. But I'm not going to sit here and say the Saints are world beaters. The Saints are going to go off and win a Super Bowl. Jameis Winston's going to be an MVP because that's well, just, there's there the numbers don't back it up. Not saying it's not going to happen, but there is little evidence outside of the result of this game, which I will 1,000% attest is shocking and absolutely one-sided. I'm just not going to sit here and say that the Saints are there yet. I agree, but. It's also still the Saints. It's also the fact that the most surprising part about this game is that if Jameis had this game against the Lions or against whoever else, the Panthers this week, right? That's who they're playing. So if he had this game against the Panthers, it would be less surprising. I think it was seeing Jameis throw five touchdowns and seeing how poor Aaron Rodgers played combined together. Like he outdueled the MVP from last year. That's that's what I took away from it, and that's a crazy thing to say. Yes, uh, and so I think that's why it was it extra was a, special to see Jameis go off. Yeah, it was a very good. <laughs> he team also win. did it not involving Kamara too. Like it, Kamara was not in, as involved in that game as he, he usually I don't, is. I don't understand how they scored thirty-eight points. I if you take away the fifty, was it fifty-seven-yard touchdown pass, sixty-yard touchdown pass? That's four touchdowns. And like 90 total yards of passing for Jameis Winston. And yet, they, and yet they still won by, they still would have won by four touchdowns and said they end up winning by five. It was impressive to see Jameis Winston be in control in a way that we hadn't seen before. Again, I just, I need to see New Orleans be this good in week two. And I think they have a relatively decent test against Carolina divisional opponent in week two number two all right last one o'clock game before we take a break your denver broncos taking on the jacksonville jaguars the jags to say they were disappointing uh and to say you know week one was a bummer for jags fans would be an understatement and the broncos looked pretty damn good now i have two things i want from you here Vito, and then we're going to take a quick break here because again i don't think this game is worth diving into too much but it's your boys and i want to let you talk about it Number one, your reaction to Denver looking great against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Also, I want an apology about Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Luck. Uh, Besides the point, 
And then the other thing is I said to Scott on Tuesday, I think all I need to see about Urban Meyer as an NFL head coach was, I think all the questions were answered in week one. Am I too early on that take? And uh, then again, just go off about your Broncos. So from top to bottom here, number one, the Broncos look good in all three phases of the game. And that was really great to see. We looked great on defense, but special teams came out and played and offense did very well, both in the run game. Uh, we had that Melvin Gordon 70 yard run at one point the line played very well. Uh, the receivers played well. Now Judy going down, it sucks. They put him, um, you know, on, on IR. So he's, he's out at least four weeks or so. I forget what Three. I think it's practice. like Three four. Weeks, yeah. But I think with the injury, it's going to be close because it's a high ankle sprain. Yeah. Which is probably yeah. going to be closer to two months than a month. Yeah. And, and well, Ronald there wasn't Darby, any medial damage. Yeah, but still. Uh, yeah, but uh, high ankle sprains. You know. I mean, like, think about how much time LeBron missed this. You know what I mean? Like, high ankle sprains are just one of those injuries that guys, it's they, just they really hard sure. to come back from, from. Yeah. Especially cutting, like, Jerry Judy's a proficient route runner and, and cutting like yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. So, so you know, he's out in IR. Ronald Darby goes out in IR, who played well. Like, I, I you know, I've watched Ronald Darby a lot after being felt like uh, I've followed his career. He played an amazing game, especially for himself. With that injury, we're going to see Sertan. We're going to see a couple other guys have to step up on the defensive side. But yeah, Sertan only played what? Probably... Like, Sertan played like eleven snaps or something. I saw the entire game. It was very low. Yeah, we we didn't. Well, it was a couple of reasons. When even when we were in nickel, like he was subbing in and out, and in dime he was in. <clears throat> but especially. Um, what I noticed is that we, we ran a lot of our base defense, our actual three, four. And I love Vic Fangio for that. Um, you know, actually get all our linebackers in there, but we looked great. Um, I'm excited about the team. Now, Teddy Bridgewater, I do have to apologize. Um, well, I, I'll say this with an asterisk. I apologize because I went off on him a little too harshly, but what I always stood by was Drew Locke is way more. Uh, I think his arm had more upside, but he was just making mistakes and throwing turnovers. And I had a moment of like calming down and understanding like what Jeff had kind of always got at was listen, you need a team, especially with a defensive team like Denver and good special teams and good weapons. You just need a guy to get the ball out and not turn the ball over. And now we have that guy in Teddy Bridgewater, at least that's what he showed in week one. And if you yeah. can continue to do that, you know, I think we, we blow past the Jags. I don't think their offense can like really do much on our defense. I think our pass rush will get after Trevor Lawrence. And I think our offense, especially against their defense will, uh, won't have too much trouble. Yeah. I think they'll force, um, Trevor Lawrence into, into some passes and situations. He doesn't necessarily need to be in as a rookie uh we saw that even against the texans offense last week or defense last week so uh what intrigued me about teddy bridgewater uh Vito, was that he was more aggressive i think than he usually is on some of his throws um how often would we see him going for that bomb to, to kj hamler that should have been caught for a touchdown by the way um, but rarely did that happen. You're thinking in that game, oh, Noah Fant uh, is going to have a 30 point game in fantasy. Like that's the kind of you know the kind of uh, conservative conservative play that that Bridgewater has has been accustomed to over the past few years. So uh, it was nice to see him a little bit more aggressive with uh, with a bit more weaponry. 
I think Teddy Bridgewater is Alex Smith. Like I, I really do. You know, we even saw him tuck in and run a couple of times. Like I, I think we've seen him removed from the injury. He's obviously has a whole team separating from his time in, in Minnesota. So then he was in Carolina. Am I missing a team in there? He was in uh, uh, great, uh, New York as well. Right? Wasn't he with the Jets? New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, Saints. Who am I? Think? Am I that confusing with Geno Smith? I might have. I, I, uh, some, yeah, it sounds like it. Either way, he's been removed now from Minnesota, from the the guy that we thought was going to be, you know, uh, he was drafted in the first round for a reason. I just never believed that he was the pure game manager that many other people did. And I think the, the beauty of this Denver situation for him is that he's got a defense he's never had before. He's got running backs he's never had before. He's the clear-cut starter, because I don't think Drew Locke's, barring injury, I don't think Drew Locke's going to do anything that's going to supplant him, um, you know, from being that guy. And I think he wants to prove that he's not just the guy who dumps off, you know, because that wasn't who he was coming out of Louisville. That's not who he was when he was in Minnesota. And – He's just going to make smart decisions with the football. Could he be a little more aggressive with things? Sure. Are there going to be times he checks down that you wish he would take a shot? Sure. But you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to do what Drew Locke would have done in that game, which is throw one or two interceptions that would have put the Giants back into that football game, particularly like in the first half, not even like fourth quarter. Like in the first half when you're coming back and you're like, man, if he just hadn't thrown that ball away in the first half and Thrown the, turned it over or fumbled it there. He's, you know, those plays just aren't going to happen. And I, again, I think if you're, if you're a Broncos fan, Vito, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic here. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. That's our one o'clock games. We'll come back. We got, let's see what we got six games left on the week two schedule. We'll fly through them. Only one or two of them are really worth getting too in depth on, but we will help them all. Preview a little bit of the Auburn-Penn State game. We also got Alabama and Florida, which I think could sneakily be a good game if Florida's quarterback ends up playing. But we'll get into all that in just a little bit right here on the read option. We move now to the 4 o'clock games. Not all four are at 425 like they were last week. We were just saying in the break there, did you guys like having all four of the four o'clock games being at four twenty-five? Cause I can't remember a time where the NFL did that where, cause normally you have a couple games at like four or five or four o'clock and then, a, and then like your prime time, your Fox NFL Sunday national games can be at four twenty-five. Were you guys a fan of all four being at four twenty-five and not having that weird kind of split? Because I kind of love having the four o'clock games. Cause you know that the, there, there are those weeks where the one o'clock games just seem to fly by and then all of a sudden the four o'clock games start and it's like you kind of mesh the the transition from the one to four o'clock without having any dips with no football whereas like last weekend i felt like we had a dip where there was no football i agree and and the other thing is that you get the split up half times during the four o'clock games uh naturally they happen a little bit but right if you have 405 or four and then 425 you, you get the stagger at the half times of that second window of games. And I really enjoy that because there's nothing worse than all of a sudden it's like six, six 30 on a Sunday and everyone's at halftime besides like one team or maybe one game. I mean, and, and you're just like, Oh damn it. It's Sunday night. Football's like winding down. Like I, I hate that moment, you know? So I, yeah. I would rather have the four 
and the 425. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I know Red Zone did a pretty good job of, of it on this past Sunday, but uh, interesting to see how they'll kind of adjust programming as, uh, as there are less games at halftime. Uh, or sorry, more games at halftime at the same time rather than than the stagger. So um, I don't know. I just want when I when I turn on red zone, I want nonstop actual game football action happening uh, for seven hours of no commercials or commercial free. So, uh, yeah, give me give me the uh, give me the staggered start times in the four o'clock window back, please. Well, we got it, Scotty and Vito. We got it back. And the, the two, four or five games got Vikings and Cardinals and then the Falcons and the Bucks. The Vikings looked terrible week one against Cincinnati. And I think they're running up against a, a potential buzzsaw with the Cardinals, a team that looks stout defensively in a way that I don't know if we expected. Now, is Chandler Jones going to have five sacks in every game? No, obviously not. But I thought the whole defense and, you know, we talked a lot about in the offseason – them drafting Zayvon Collins and getting these two hybrid linebackers and Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons was all over the field in every possible way. You guys know how much I loved him last year. I think we're seeing the, this year two bump for Isaiah Simmons. I think linebackers are very similar to like tight ends on the defensive side of the ball, which like a lot of times rookie year, your tight ends aren't going to come in and make a massive impact right away. I think Isaiah Simmons feels comfortable and is in total control of that defense. That defensive line is nasty. You guys both said uh, in the, in the break that you think that this is the most intriguing game of the late window. I am almost on the polar opposite. I think this game is the least interesting outside of, I'm just curious to see what we see out of Arizona. I think the Vikings are a, I, I, I think they have the talent to be an eight and eight team. But this has been a perennial nine and seven, eight and eight, ten and six team for the last what four or five years, really since what Case Keenum was the quarterback. I think that there is a certain I don't want to say quitting on the coach, but I think there's a certain level of like, look, man, this is just the same old shit, and we're tired of it. And I I have a hard time buying into the Minnesota Vikings as a nine to ten win team. For me, I, I just think that offense underperformed i also think it defensively they underperformed and that's why i'm confident that this game will be better because arizona looked incredible but the vikings also have a pretty damn good offense in their own right you know um and so i'm excited to see the offensive points in here this is you know i'm looking at the over in this game um so as you as you look at this matchup i think that's what it comes down to is the vikings are one of the offenses that has the weapons around to at least put up points with the Cardinals. Now, will they, I don't know. Cause it seems like they're going up and down and, and they're inconsistent to your point, Jeff, but I don't know, man, like Scott, it, when I look at this, yeah, Kyler Murray's my, like who I want to watch in this game. But wh- why do you think this is intriguing with the Vikings? Uh, for all the reasons you said, I think this is going to be a high scoring game. Uh, this is a put up or shut up game for the Vikings offense. That's talented and has uh uh, COVID cousins and, and Justin Jefferson, who was quiet in the uh, last week, um, Adam Thielen, who had a turned out to be a big week, uh, 92 yards and two touchdowns and Dalvin cook, the, uh, the uh, bell cow. Um, what concerns me is that Arizona's defense, which again, for them, this is a put up or shut up game too. Uh, 
you proved how good you were in week one. Uh, show me again in week two before you go uh, at Jaguars, at Rams, Niners, Browns, uh, in that order uh, following the uh, the week two slate. So um, that defense, though, did shut down the most prolific runner uh, across the the past three seasons of, of the National Football League and Derrick Henry last week. So um, I think the uh, the fact that that defensive line was getting – after uh, the the really decent, uh, pretty good, I think uh, Titans offensive line uh, spells trouble for uh, for a battered and uh, and and not as great uh, offensive line for uh, the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll see uh, who who's gonna who's gonna want it more uh, <laughs> more good headlines uh, coming out of, of week two is is gonna be uh, the the Arizona Cardinals riding their defense and Kyler Murray. Or is it uh, Minnesota and uh, and their offense? Uh, hopefully, just, uh, Minnesota, because I have Dalvin and Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team. I just I see Minnesota as the the B team version of Tennessee, right? You have your bell cow running back, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. You got decent offensive lines on both sides. You got Julio Jones to Adam Thielen. You got Justin Jefferson to AJ Brown. You got Kirk Cousins to Ryan Tannehill. With the except, I mean, honestly, if you go top to bottom, with the exception of know, maybe Adam Thielen's, maybe a little bit better than Julio Jones at this stage in his career, the Titans are better in every single facet on that offense than Tennessee or, or, or than Minnesota. So I don't see how you can look at a team that's built so similarly to Minnesota as the Tennessee Titans are and how Arizona manhandled them defensively. And then expect that one week later, they're playing basically the same type of offense with very similar skill set, but all just slightly less talented and expect anything different than what we saw in week one. And I, I, for that reason, I'm just, I'm in with the Cardinals and what we saw to Kyler Murray. I I think Kyler Murray was more banged up last year than we thought. And I think Kyler Murray is just going to be great. Uh, The other four o'clock, four or five kickoff Falcons bucks. To be honest, again, I, I think this is a pretty boring game. I think the Falcons proved themselves to be a, a, a not great football team. And I know that they were a popular pick for being, hey, this is the team that's going to kind of, you know, close the gap from where they were last year and be the most improved team that drafted in the top 10 and, and Kyle Pitts and all this stuff. Kyle Pitts looked kind of – he looked okay, you know. But for the most part, he was getting guarded by the likes of, you know, Steve Nelson and and Alex Singletary and, and a very like a decent defense in Philadelphia, but not an elite defense. And Tampa Bay yeah, and look off at, that win on Thursday. Look at the night. linebackers he's going to go up against. <laughs> yeah, I just this one to me screams Tampa Bay. Anything you guys want to throw out here about this game? Because this one feels very one sided to me. I agree with everything you said. The one thing, Kyle Pitts, you can tell he has that athletic frame and body, and I'm really excited to see what he does in the NFL. Um, but he has such a big frame. He was, you know, as wide and tall as some of these linemen, and he's he's running around full speed. So it's pretty cool to see. I'm excited to see what he does. But you're right; it, they're not there. It's a bucks. It's a bucks dub. Tom Brady is eight zero against the Atlanta Falcons all time, including the twenty eight three comeback in the Super Bowl. Nine zero this week. Yeah, you know, that's such a great point, Scott. There's no way in hell Tom Brady is losing. And I, I bet you he covers the spread, but we'll get to that in a little bit. All right, the last two 4 o'clock games, 
this is the game that I'm most intrigued about when it comes to the the, the late window, and that's going to be Cowboys versus the Chargers because we saw a Chargers defense that looked really good against Washington football team, but there's we, we don't really know how to gauge the Washington football team's offense, and we know pretty well how good this uh, this Cowboys passing attack is going to be. Yes, there is no Michael Gallup, but you're still dealing with Amari Cooper. You're still dealing with CeeDee Lamb, and they're getting Zach Martin back, one of the best offensive linemen in football. So this is going to be the first real test for Brandon Staley as a head coach and whether or not he can kind of – because we said this on Monday or on, on Tuesday's pod, Scott, about how Brandon Staley re- – it really felt like that defense translated from what he did with the Rams to what he's doing with the Chargers – I'm somewhat – I admitted this, Vita, you weren't on the pod, but I, I admitted this on Monday. I was wrong about the Cowboys. I thought the Cowboys were going to be very mediocre. I still think they're not going to be great. Like, I still don't think they're going to be a 12-win team. But that offense is as is going to be in the top echelon in the NFL. And you have Zeke back there who doesn't even have to carry the ball. Just the threat of him getting the ball and knowing what he's been is enough to kind of scare defenses. So, you know, what do we see out of Brandon Staley? Who wins this matchup? Do we see more of the Cowboys explosive offense that we've seen with Dak in the five games he played before he got hurt last year? Or, you know, was this Chargers team going to be legit? Now on the opposite side of the ball too, I think Justin Herbert's going to be able to throw the ball all over the place against the Cowboys defense. But as someone who we didn't really get a chance to talk last week about the Cowboys and the Bucks and everything, how do you see this one kind of shaping out and which team do you give the slight edge or maybe, you you know, feel heavily on one side or the other? Yeah. I think that when you look at these teams in this matchup, you look at the offenses, you look at the quarterbacks, like you were talking about. And when you talk about those five games that Dak went off last year, um, the common theme was their defense was letting up a ton of points, right? Like, it was because they needed to score that many points. And I think the chargers have an offense that can put up that many points. Um, so I do think this will be a higher scoring game. I like the Cowboys in it. They just, they're such a talented squad, but man, I would love for Herbert to start peeling off some wins like this. You know, like I, I just think Dallas is too good of a team and I'm not going to root against them, but I feel like Herbert's going to, in his career, especially this week, start, you know, making some noise. And uh, I think he's going to have a couple of these big upsets this year. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see which teams he can, he can take on a beat, but I think Dallas will prove to be too much for him. It is worth noting yeah, I that think- Demarcus Lawrence is out for six to eight weeks, basically the best defensive player on that Dallas roster. And we'll see what happens to Micah Parsons. Maybe he can, you know, kind of step up and fill some of that gap. But when it comes to pass rush, I mean, Dallas has nobody. Yeah. Trayvon Diggs looked good in week one, but, you know, outside of the linebacking core, which we still don't really know what to make of, I was really impressed with Keanu Neal, the the former free safety there for the Falcons, now turned linebacker. He actually played pretty well in that game against Tampa Bay. I'm I, I'm worried about what this Cowboys defense, even more so, what they're going to look like here. Scotty, where do you see this one? I I am really looking to see if Justin Herbert can can score enough points and, and, and pull out a big win. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a big win. I don't know how Dow- how good Dallas actually is. Um, 
but still it's a, a winning on the road at Dallas is no small feat ever in the NFL. So um, if, if there's a, a time for uh, or a game for the chargers defense to, to prove themselves to, to be as good as they played in week one against Washington, uh, this would be it against that potent offense where you're going to get uh, just about probably almost 75% of the, the target share is split between CD and Amari Cooper, who just went off last week against a really good Tampa Bay defense. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's time to prove yourself, uh, <laughs> prove yourself worthy uh, Chargers secondary. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. This is the four o'clock game. I think most people should try to watch. It's the CBS game. My guess is this is going to be the game. We get Tony Romo and Jim Nance. So we'll get a good crew on it. Uh, and, and look, I, I'm a believer in Justin Herbert. I've been unapologetic about it. I think Justin Herbert's the dude. I think that defense is going to be able to get basically no pressure on them. It's not a team that is predicated on running the ball, so I'm not really sure where Jalen Smith, Landon Vander Esch, Ken O'Neill, and uh, Micah Parsons are going to make the difference unless they get really aggressive blitzing. But Dan Quinn is a good defensive coordinator, so we'll, we'll see how it turns out. All right, the last 4 o'clock game, 425 kickoff, the Tennessee Titans on the road against Seattle. This to me is just week one times two for Seattle. I, I, I mean, I think Seattle, Seattle is a September, October team historically under Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And I think Tennessee makes this a, a, a better game. I, I, I don't see a Mike Vrabel led team losing badly in back-to-back weeks. But I just think the Seattle offense, we saw fingerprints, you know, like one of the things I, I thought in, in rewatching some of the highlights and some of the tape from this game was just that Russell Wilson is, he has his hands on this offense, which he's never had before. He is in the, in the room designing the playbook. His fingerprints are all over this offense. And that is one thing we've never seen. So, yes, we can talk about last year. Oh, you know, this is just Russ cooking again like he did in the first eight weeks last year, and then he disappeared. This is a different offense, man. This is a different offense. He not only was efficient like Jameis Winston, but he was prolific in the way that he threw the ball when he needed to. He's got two excellent wide receivers. He's got a healthy Chris Carson for the first time in a while. I think the Seattle offense is legit. I think there's an argument to be made that they should be week in and week out. One of the scariest offenses to play in the NFL. Scotty, I know you hate Seattle, but I'm asking you to, 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 to remove your hatred for the Hawks here. All right. And, and talk to me a little bit about how you see this game going down. Derek Henry, Mike Vrabel going up against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So, the only saving grace I can see for the Titans is the fact that they're playing a worse defense than they did last week. Uh, so imagine uh, I can see Derrick Henry having a big game. I can see Julio Jones. I'm putting that out in the universe, please. Fantasy gods him to have a big game. Um, the, the difference is going to be, was Tannehill actually garbage? Is he showing his, his true colors uh, as he, cause he played a lot like he did in Miami last week uh, in week one. So um, I don't know. I think, I think uh, there, there could be a big offensive game for, for, uh, for Tennessee. I think this is going to end up being a bit more of a shootout than people think. 
that offense in Seattle is really, really potent. Uh, DK Metcalf didn't get the ball really until the second half, uh, and they were still kicking Indianapolis's you know what. Um, so, I mean, as long as Russ is still in there and, and he's now designing plays for, for this offense, I would never count them out. So when I think about this game, I agree. Like, you can't count this offense out. But to me, this is the game of the week. Um, and the reason why I say that is because it's an AFC, you know, playoff team versus an NFC playoff team. It's always fun when you get these matchups early on in the season. Uh, and when you think about this team, Jeff said it earlier, right? Seahawks are an early, like, September, October team. Well, the Titans are the exact inverse of that. They get better, and Derrick Henry specifically, his rushing yards shoot through the roof after November, December, the early, like, late January, right before the playoffs, but if you have one week there, like, he goes off in those games. So I think that the Seahawks are going to come out and, and really, you know, run it. I agree with Jeff, too. Like, you're, you're not going to see a blowout here because the Titans have some firepower, too. But the player I'm going to watch is Julio Jones. Can they get him involved? Because they couldn't get him going. Lord, they couldn't I get Derrick so. Henry going. I, I just I think that the Titans need to get this offense rolling at least a little bit against Seattle, or else we're going to see a long-term issue. But I do think Seattle takes it. But that's what I, my concern is and who I'm going to watch. All right. Those are our 4 o'clock games. We've got two games left in Week 2. Chiefs, Ravens, Monday night or Sunday night football. This game is in Baltimore. I'm honestly surprised the line is where it's at. Kansas City is only a three and a half point favorite against Baltimore. I talked about earlier my concerns with the Ravens. I don't feel great about them as we sit right now. And I am more afraid of the Chiefs as I think I've been in the last three years since Mahomes has been quarterback. And I know that might seem counterintuitive after they lost in the Super Bowl, but I think this is a team that's on a mission. I don't know, man. How are you guys feeling? I mean, the Chiefs, the Chiefs just looked. I mean, like the fact that they came back and won that game against Cleveland last week I know. after Cleveland pitched what was almost a perfect game on the road. I mean, it, it was like all of a sudden three minutes go by in real time, not even game time, just real time. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, the Chiefs are Chiefs are good. That's scary, dude. That's scary for the rest of the NFL. It's it's very scary. It's insanely frightening just to think that like you thought last week that Cleveland had made a statement and they did, but the chiefs came back and made a fucking bigger one. I mean, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. It really was. And I, I just think the Ravens after last week, yeah, they're going to want to come out and, and ball up, but I just don't think you stand a chance. Like th this quarterback duel was going to be awesome to see. I'm really excited to see Lamar have to sling it and have to really put it in his hands. Cause when you're playing the chiefs, you usually do. Um, you know, they obviously run the ball a ton, but the chiefs are just, they, they gotta just blow them out almost. Right. Like I can't believe the spread either. Every time that that has happened to Lamar Jackson in his career, he's risen to the occasion. So I, uh, I like the Ravens here for the upset. All right. I love Scotty. When it, when it comes to any, any big game like this, Scotty, I'm not going to lie. I fade you a little bit, but I think I just I think back to like I equate Kansas City to Alabama and I think back to the Miami thing where I was like, you know what? Like even going into it, I was like, ah, I think Miami might be able to cover the spread. I don't think they're going to win outright like Scotty does. And then what do we see? 
we yeah. see him, we we see Alabama just do Alabama things. And you're right. This is a, this has become a bit of a rivalry. And and I do think Balt. This is weirdly enough. This is like a make or break game for the Baltimore season because they're already going in with such negative vibes with the running back injuries schedule. and everything else. <laughs> like they really kind of have to win this game in order to cement themselves as you know a legit contender. And I just – I don't see it for Baltimore this year. I said it in the preseason. Maybe we talk about John Harbaugh and the Ravens kind of mutually parting ways at the end of the year, or at least that that conversation coming from a fan perspective. I think the injuries hurt them, and I, I just – I don't see a path. I don't – after how good Kansas City looked, I like the Ravens aren't the roster – like the Ravens just lost on that last second touchdown in overtime against the Raiders. The Raiders could be like a four win team this year. And at best, I think the Raiders are like a nine and eight team. So I hope they're a four win team. And like, I'm, I'm with you, <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know what's going on there. There's enough inconsistency to worry you. And that's when. It goes out the window, especially the show they're having with their running backs. Yeah. I mean, this team ran for more yards than anybody else last year. And I think the year before that, maybe if not, they were in the top three. So now, when all this, no, like, no, that's what I, I, just, me. I do buy into the Lamar makes average running backs look way better than they are belief. You know, he is, yes. it's, it's like Steph Curry. I, I said this analogy on Tuesday. It's like Steph Curry is so good and shoots it from so deep that it just opens up shots for other guys same thing with lebron lebron's so good that he that he makes you know jr smith into a a vital player in the nba finals right like like that's kind of how that is how i feel about lamar because he's just so talented at it and we saw look you know tyson williams right and and isaiah cannon and uh, latavius murray had been there for two and a half days and then scored a touchdown and looked good like but how long does that last? I do like Latavius Murray. He's perennially underrated and has been since he was in Minnesota. I just think the Chiefs are that good. They're just that good. All right, Monday night game, Lions, Packers. One simple question. I think we all can be in agreement that the Packers are probably going to win this game. But is this, I'll ask it to you both. Is this a Packers blowout? Or is this a the Lions continue to be scrappy like they were against San Francisco, and this game ends up being closer than we think. Blowout city. It's going to be, it's going to be ugly. It's going to get ugly. Like I think divisional game Packers, Aaron Rodgers. I think they're coming out and sling it. And I think everyone's going to be like, Oh, this is crazy. And Aaron Rodgers is going to come out at the end and be like, I told you guys, like it was just one game. Like, you know, his typical demeanor. R E L A X. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a blowout for me too. I uh, there's nothing I saw in in Detroit other than than uh, knee biting uh, or kneecap biting and and uh, true grit that uh, that Dan Campbell was was offering his team late in the game against the 49ers in Week One that uh, that brought them in on top of some of the big injuries that the Niners had as well. So I don't see the, <laughs> anything from from Detroit uh, to prove otherwise. So. Yeah, blowout for me too. I I wanted to say that. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to look great, but 
I don't know, man. I think Detroit's just going to just fuck around with some people. I really do. I think Detroit's just going to be one of those teams that just kind of hangs around and finds ways to stay into games. But I think, I think Aaron Rodgers looks really good. I think this is a high-scoring game because Jeff Okuda's done for the year. He tore his Achilles, unfortunately. What an unfortunate career path for that kid, man. I mean, we, you, you see a handful of cornerbacks go in the top five. He went number three overall a year ago. Gets drafted to a terrible team. You know, I hope it's a it's a, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey type of career path for him. But just really just a bummer for him. But we'll see. We'll see how it all kind of works out. All right. That is our week two NFL preview. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk college football. Clay Helton out at USC. James Franklin in. We'll talk about it next as well as previewing the week three games that we care about here in college football week three in college football is here this is the point in the in the football calendar and we're going to get to it next week with the nfl where like you're like but no wait football just started how's how are we in week three already like what do you mean it's a quarter of the way over like what (laughs) You, you know what i mean like that is where i'm at with college football and i am especially like vulnerable to it because I, I you know when we cover it and everything especially this year where we spent so much time talking about realignment and expansion in Oklahoma and fucking Texas and all these other schools and all this other bullshit you know that we had barely had time to just talk about football and then we're like oh week one's here let's go week zero's here let's go. and then all of a sudden like if you count week zero this is the fourth weekend of college football that we have already. And it's just, it, it comes quick and it feels like it takes forever, but it gets here and then it just flies. So this is my reminder to all football fans cherish every weekend that we have it. Cause I promise you it will go by so much faster every single year than we ever remember. And you'll, you'll realize it too. Cause we'll get to, we'll get to January and February and go, God damn it. How is it over? It happens every year. So just when you wake up Saturday morning, Sunday morning, take a moment and say, I get to sit on the couch and watch football today. And that's pretty damn dope. All right. I got five college football games I want to talk through with you guys. It's a decent weekend in college football. Got some top 25 matchups. Got one that I'm particularly interested in, but unfortunately because injuries does not seem as frisky as it might be. But before we get into the games, I mentioned it in the tease. Clay Helton gets fired from USC this week. Something I think most college football fans knew was coming. James Franklin has been mentioned as a candidate. Eric Bieniemy has been mentioned as a candidate. Matt Campbell from Iowa State has been man, uh, mentioned as a, as a candidate. Luke Fickle has been mentioned as a candidate. Urban Meyer has been mentioned as a candidate. USC is one of those polarizing jobs because of what we remember Pete Carroll doing in the early 2000s and the gravity that it had on the nation as a whole when it came to making USC a legitimate national power. Which now doesn't matter with name, image, and likeness. but <laughs> it, it does still matter, but USC so is, good, one yeah. of the, is one of the handful of teams that can kind of crack into that higher tier echelon, even with NIL. 
James Franklin seems to me, and from what I've heard and from what I've heard behind the scenes and from what people who are more better connected than I am, as though he is a legitimate candidate and probably the front runner. Now, the two names have been connected for a long time. I texted you guys this earlier. And I need, a, I need a, a, a painfully unbiased opinion here, all right? So be as unbiased as you can. Penn State versus USC. There are pros and cons to both. If you're James Franklin, how much of an upgrade, if there is any at all, would there be to taking the USC job and leaving Penn State? All right. This is a little tough because I, I, I've grown up in both places, Mm -hmm. right? I was born in state college. I left when I was nine. I went to Southern California. I was there till I was 18. I went back to Penn state. I know both these places pretty damn well. The cultures, all of that. The difference to me between the two and why I think USC is a better opportunity objectively is because of recruiting in Southern California it's because of the connections that he already has in the East coast, right? He already has those. He can come back here and recruit in a lot of Pennsylvania schools. Anyway, a lot of the Southern schools he's been breaking into, but I think that having its own recruiting base, other than being able to go across the country to different recruiting pools on the East coast will give USC almost like a a different upgrade. And I think what it comes down to though, and and why I led with, I I lived in both places is because it's a completely different culture. And I think this is going to come down to personality. And in my opinion, USC is a showtown, right? They care about the drama, all this stuff. That's why Will Farrell's like one of their biggest guys on sponsors and comes around game day, right? USC, it's in Southern California. It's sunny. It's beaches. It's great. I think that because he's such a great recruiter, in my opinion, he's going like if, if USC wants him and they offer him the job, if I'm James Franklin, I love Penn state. I've been there for a while, but think about like facility upgrades that he cares about all these things. USC can, will spend the money whenever to do whatever they can. They have that Penn state is one of the teams that is like has some and a lot of money, but it's not like USC. It's not like they're boosters. Um, and that's why, what I think the difference will be. I think if he was like two years into his coaching path at Penn state, I think he might say no, but I think he's been here long enough and seen a lot and dealt with a lot that maybe it's it's almost time. I hope not, but I think that could be the case. So what is the difference? I'll lead with a question. What is the difference in the tenor for the last four years that USC has been talking about firing Clay Hilton and the instant usual connection has been James Franklin? What's the difference between now when Clay Hilton actually is fired and the previous years that that they've just been connected as as a possibility if Clay Hilton gets fired. Like, is that real quick? What's the difference? I mean, the difference is the coaching spots open. Right, but from from the USC perspective, the main difference was USC wanted. I think USC wanted to move on from Clay Hilton a year ago. I think twenty twenty was was the judgment day, right? And because of the particularly with the Pac-12 only playing a six game season, I don't think 
the Pac-12 teams as a whole were in a were in a, a position to really decide whether or not this is going to be the year that we move on from someone like Clay Helton, who is adored, respected, loved by his players, by the people around that program, but was not creating the wins that you need at a place like USC. Okay, fair enough. Um, so on top of all the recruiting stuff, uh, which Vito mentioned, uh, which is completely accurate. I mean, look at Penn State is still holding at number one in the, uh, in the 2022 recruiting rankings. Um, I think from a, a, if you're playing this from a, a football pers- a conference perspective, the path to the national championship at Penn State seems much harder than the path to the national championship at USC. And uh, for that reason and that reason alone, I think if, if you're hired, especially with that Oregon's big win at Ohio State last week, which just opened the, the playoff back wide open for, uh, for the Pac-12 to get in, now you're talking about James Franklin going there, putting all that recruiting in and, uh, and, and building that program. The way he he's, he's built Penn State, forget about it. It's going to be the number one team in the Pac-12 in a matter of two to three years, and it won't be close. Um, so, for me, I, I hate to to say that, but from like I said, the the path is much harder at Penn State, even though we're going to win this year. But the path is still much harder, and you have to go through Ohio State and Michigan and Iowa and Indiana, Wisconsin, all of this. Whereas there's, there's a significantly less parity in, in the Pac-12. So, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. I love James Franklin. I love what he's putting together. I love the culture he's built, Penn State. He's been sort of a, 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 a savior taking us out of the, the mire that we were in. Um, and, and, I, and I would love for him to stay because he's a Pennsylvania guy and a Penn State guy. So uh, we'll see. I'm about to cry thinking about it. Oh, geez. (laughs) So I think both of you bring up very interesting points. What I'll say is, Vito, you brought up the facilities and whatnot, right, at USC. The biggest complaint from USC, people around that program, players, you know, guys who work in the program alike, is that they haven't invested that money when it comes to their facilities. They haven't invested... The, the equity to say, hey, we want to be Alabama. We want to be this. So investing in someone like James Franklin, giving him a monster contract, which is what it would take, is a sign that USC is finally taking it seriously. Oregon's win against Ohio State's a big deal. UCLA looking scarily scarily yeah. good with chip kelly is a big I, I was gonna say i would love a usc ucla coach rivalry between chip kelly and james franklin holy shit would that get that rivalry going again it would be awesome it would be absolutely awesome for college football and in particular the pac-12 those are major points here when we're talking about whether or not USC again, and all this is predicated on the question as to whether or not USC is willing to invest what it takes to be great. 
Because when you look at the history of USC, they were mediocre from the 1960s in 1980s until Pete Carroll got there. And Pete Carroll gets there. They have their run in 04 and 05. The NCAA sanctions stuff kind of cooled them down. Pete Carroll leaves for the NFL and goes on to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. We need to see, and ultimately the biggest decider into how this goes will be how USC decides to approach this hiring process. If they go, hey, we, we want a, a, a Luke Fickle, who I think Luke Fickle would be great. But if they're talking about, hey, we, we need to invest, it's the same conversation we had about Florida State. You know, Florida State was a mom and pop program under uh, uh, Bobby Bowden for a very long time. They basically ran their college football program like a mom and pop shop. Didn't invest in things, didn't put millions and millions of dollars into it. And you cannot compete nationally in college football in, in, in 2021 without doing that. And USC has been behind, behind the eight ball on it. And if they're willing to invest in it, it starts with this number, $4 million. That is James Franklin's buyout to get out of Penn State. That is it's not, very cheap when we talk about yeah. premier college football buyouts. That's so cheap. That's almost like, I mean, you're, you're hearing 20 to 40 sometimes if it's multi, like early in the contracts. I mean, it can get crazy, but Willie Taggart, doubt, was, Willie so Taggart was $24 million at, at Florida State. Willie Taggart. All right. That's James, so wild, isn't the it? The fact that you can <laughs> you can buy James Franklin out of the remainder of his contract for $4 million. If USC is willing to pay that money, cut that check, get that shit done. I think he ends up going to USC. The way he's handled it in the media, I give him credit because he didn't do the Urban Meyer, just shut it down immediately. He said, I am going to be completely forefront with our leadership council, with the team. We're going to handle this in-house. But as a Penn State fan, that should also worry you. Dan Patrick said today, his Big Ten source, who has been right on a lot of major things, said that there is mutual interest. However, to give you both a, a glimmer of hope, in my opinion here, if Penn State wins the Big Ten and somehow finds themselves into the college football playoff, which is completely within their grasp to be able to do, I think it's very hard for James Franklin to leave Penn State. Knowing they have, yeah, but is that is that what keeps him there? If that's the the two options on the table, or go to USC, or or stay if you if you win the or get to the playoff, even I think knowing that you have a number one recruiting class in there, and Scotty, you brought up the point that was the the most important thing here, which is that the pathway to the college football playoff at Penn State is significantly more difficult because you have to deal with Ohio State. There is not an Ohio State of the Pac-12, but the college football playoff expansion is going to come in one form or another, in which case worrying about getting there as a top four team, in the country will not matter. We've seen Penn state be on the precipice of it. We've seen Penn state beat Ohio state. And now we're seeing that maybe the golden boy, Ryan day 
it's not all just going to be handed to him in a way that we thought it would be throughout his first two years as the head coach at Ohio State. You guys want to pick some games against the spread? Let's yes. do it. Let's do it. We got about 20 games, NFL week uh, two, and then we got five college football games. So let's start with the college football games. All right. And then we'll work our way back to the NFL. Number eight, right. Cincinnati, number eight, Cincinnati on the road against Indiana. Right now, Cincinnati is a three and a half point favorite. Scotty, we'll start with you. Who do you got? Uh, Bearcats. You know, I'm I'm okay. gonna go, I'm gonna go with Cincy too. Um, I think this is gonna be a very close game. Yeah, yeah, I do. An extremely close game because Indiana is no joke, and it is still hard to come and play like um, you know, power five team, no matter what other team you are. But I, I think Cincinnati is good. And we talked about Luke Fickle earlier being a candidate for the USC job because he's a good coach. And yeah. I think he he's the reason why they're they're gonna take the dub here. I'm with you. Cincinnati. Covering the three and a half. All right. Yep, Michigan so. State, the Sparties, 2-0 out of the gates, taking on number 24, Miami. I think this is the sneaky best game of this weekend in college football. Right now, the Hurricanes are a six-point favorite heading into week number three. This game is in Miami. Who do you guys have? I'm going to take the U. Uh, I think I think they get it done here. I just think that uh, Michigan State is a good start, but the talent down there and, and that team and the expectations, they're, they're going to have to pull this one out. Michigan State's on the up and up. Uh, uh, the, the program that is that is being built down there is is nothing to be uh, stifled with in the coming years. Uh, they're going to be a legit Big Ten team in a couple of years. Not just not yet. Uh, Miami. Oh, Scotty Ooh. with a misdirect. Ooh. I even had written it down. So you got Miami covering the six. I like Michigan State. I love Mel Tucker. I love what they're building there. I have Michigan State. Six points is just a lot, and I think this is going to be a tightly contested game. All right, number 19, Arizona State, taking on number 23, BYU. After beating Utah right now, BYU 2-0 in the Pac-12. Weirdly enough, they could be the Pac-12 champs based off of record when you look at it by season end. And uh, BYU is getting three and a half points. Where do you guys go against the spread? I'm going Sun Devils. I'm going to take, I'll give them the three and a half because I, I think there's something special about this Arizona State team. And I'm, I'm really, really excited to watch some. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a late Pac 12 football game, too. Yeah, it's on a 10 15 East Coast. It is. I, I love Pac 12 after dark, baby. I love Jason it. Jason Hawaii. I feel to catch the end of that <laughs> game. So uh, pretty stoked for that one. Forks up. Go Devils. Going with the Devils. I'm also going Arizona State. I've said forever. I, I think Jaden uh, Daniels is one of the single most underrated players in the country. Uh, I love watching him play. And Herm Edwards, what he has built there, has, has honestly just been remarkable. And I'm, I'm a big, big fan of uh, the Sun Devils. And I will also be taking Arizona State to cover the three and a half. All right. Number one, Alabama going to the swamp against the Florida Gators. Uh, unfortunately for the Gators, their best player, the first guy to wear 15 at, at the quarterback position since uh, Tim Tebow, I, I'm blanking on his name. He's this, he's an athletic freak. Um, I'm trying to pull it up now. 
Uh, he will not oh, be Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson. Thank you. He yeah. uh, unfortunately will not be, does not look like he's going to play. He pulled up with a pulled hamstring after like a 70 yard touchdown run this past week. But uh, Anthony Richardson is Cam Newton reincarnated at a college football level, except might actually be better. No Anthony Richardson. We got Emory Jones going up against Bama. Right now, Bama is a 14 and a half point favorite against Dan Mullins, Florida Gators in the swamp. Who do you guys got? Well, 14 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I did this once, so I'm not going to be stupid. Give me Bama. Uh, that's going to be a tough game. I'll go into the swamp, although Emory Jones has played awful. Yeah, I, I think I'm going Bama too. Um, I, they, they're going to cover, especially having a backup quarterback go in. I, I, I'm really excited to see what Bama pulls off again. I really want to pick Florida to cover the spread. I also, if Anthony Richardson was starting, would say that I think Florida has a chance to actually win this game. I would say the same thing too. But unfortunately, (laughs) you know, one of my good friends, Chris Childers says, he goes, Florida's got, it's in the swamp. He's got Dan Mullen, electric play caller, Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson's athletic quarterbacks. They have an elite offense is what I would say if I was picking Florida to win. But unfortunately, I do have to pick Alabama, like you said, Scotty. Fool me once. I'm not going for that again this year, which means, of course, (laughs) Florida is going to cover the spread and damn near might end up winning this game. All right. Uh, Last college football game we got. Guys, want to take a guess at where we're going? We are Penn Penn State. State. Oh, Penn State. Sorry, I thought we were talking about Kent State for a second. I love me some flash. <laughs> the flash is talking. Action. Number 22, Auburn on the road in Happy Valley. Whiteout game, taking on Penn State. You guys want to take a guess? The last year that Auburn has played a Big Ten team on the road in the regular season. Ooh, 1984. Man. No, it was early 2000s. Was it? Who, who was? I'm saying early 2000s. You are both very wrong. It is 1941 was the Whoa. last time that the Auburn Tigers have been, on, have been on the road to play a Big Ten team. Where are you guys picking as we stand? Number 10, Penn State at home is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Do I even have to guess? Do I even have to say what it is? The last time we had a wideout, was 2019 against Michigan. They could not get a playoff the first series of the game. They had to call a timeout because it was so loud. Imagine what how loud it's going to be after a year of not having fans in Beaver Stadium. Bo Nix is not going to be able to think Bitney Lions all day. Five and a half is a big spread. I'm big taking spread. the spread. I, it's it, Don't worry about it. Penn State's going to run this fucking thing down. I I cannot wait for this game. I'm going to go. Can't wait to be with my boy, Joe. Shout out. We're going to go off. All right, listen. I need you to take notes, Vita. We, we did not say this earlier. You're going to be in Happy Valley. You're going to be at. Yes. Uh, what's the name of this, this stupid stadium? Beaver Stadium. Beaver Stadium. Beaver Stadium. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stu- hey, hey. It's a beautiful building of steel and post-tension It's barely standing. It's beautiful. It doesn't even pass health codes. Oh, it's it's a beauty. It's a beauty. It's 
bleachers built from under and above and crushed that were moved mm. from old main lawn over. It's a historical feat, but in Beaver stadium, the best thing about it is the environment that you're in, in a whiteout. That's why Herb street calls it the best thing in college football. It's special. And the One. fact that we haven't had it, that we haven't had it in so long, like an extra year and just what everything has meant. So I told these guys, and, and the reason I haven't been on the pod a lot is because I've been traveling a lot recently, took some little vacation time, went and saw some concerts, right? And being in a group of people right now, every concert I went to, at some point, almost everyone started crying for over like an emotional song, whatever it was, but everyone was just feeling it because you're like, oh my God, we're all together. Like, this is crazy. Penn State's whiteout game and how much it means for the people of Pennsylvania, it is going to be an emotional terror to come try and play it's yeah, going to be Jeff. wild people are going to be going off i cannot wait for what we see here we're going to see a special scene on saturday and we're going to see those special scenes right throughout college football this whole fall but white out happy Nothing valley like this early yeah against a non-conference opponent too and it, like you said i didn't even know that the first time they've even been out to big 10 country in in how what, eight, 70 80 years 70. like come on 80 like, years yeah been 80 that's years. crazy it's been I'm 80 taking years. The Lions. 80 years since Auburn has been there. We got Lions versus Tigers. Most people would take Lions in that battle. We got Sean Clifford versus Bo Nix. Sean Clifford. That's, that's I the will, other thing, too. I will take Sean Clifford over that. We've seen uh, Penn State be tested against great teams, at least one great team, I believe, in Wisconsin. We have James Franklin, a proven Rose Bowl caliber type head coach going up against Brian Harson, the former coach from Boise State. We have the whiteout crowd who will be going nuts. Is what I would say. Oh, Jesus. If I was going to be picking Penn State to cover the spread, but alas, I'm taking the Auburn Tigers to cover the spread. But Penn State wins the football game by field goal. Let's go, Jeff. You're, you're gonna uh, apologies in advance. You're gonna see tears in the pregame. I'm just gonna be. Crying. You know what I'm was like, so oh, great? I'm sorry, you both were just buying into everything I did there. But people at home aren't gonna be able to. I mean, maybe <laughs> I'll clip the video up. But you guys were both like, "Oh my god, he's actually he's actually gonna pick Penn State. He's gonna do it. He's actually gonna do it." Vito's like pumping his fists like he's <laughs> Paulie D back in circa 2011, and I just, I just. I sucked the air out of the balloon a little bit, but did you at least the appreciate the win? Switch. You picked the win. Did you at least That's appreciate I that I set the joke up earlier? With you did the last set it game, up earlier, and I, right? I was pretty impressed with that. That one. was all planned. That's, all that's planned. a pro. Everything I do here is planned. All right, this is a facade. <laughs> all right, let's move to the NFL. Go. You know what? We are Penn State. Penn, Penn State. State. Let's go, Nittany Lions. I have too many Penn State fans in my family. My grandfather played football at Penn State. I got bloodlines with it. I would be very happy to see the Nittany Lions pull off the win. Your sister and, went there. Oh, wait. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm I'll get in. You, you know what's funny? You wouldn't get in trouble for that. I would. All right. Football. <laughs> rapid fire. Philly, San Francisco, San Francisco, three-point favorite. Go. Niners. Philly. Vito, Philly to cover the three. Scotty, San Francisco. I am also going San Francisco. Niners win by a touchdown. Uh, Chicago, Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a two and a half point underdog. Who do you got? Uh, second quarter, we'll see Justin Fields. So give me the Bears. Ooh, 
I like that. Pick. Wow. I'm going Bengals here. They get the dub. I'm also going Cincinnati. Houston, Cleveland. Cleveland is a 13-point favorite at home. Where are we leaning? That's, yeah, 13 is way too much. Give me the Browns. Wait, it's too much? Do you mean Houston? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Browns. Either way. <laughs> so it's not too much, and you're saying that Cleveland's going to cover Correct. the 13. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know about this one. This is really tough because I do like Tyrod Taylor a lot more and I'm, I'm excited about that team, but I think the Browns are going to come out and show again why they're a great team. I just 13 is a lot of points. It's a and lot of points. I'm, I'm going to go Texans because of that Ooh. point spread. I think 13 right. is a lot, especially for both teams that are going to run. Our resident degenerate gambler Vito, which I think at this point we're all working our way towards it. Uh, taking the points there, <laughs> maybe some experience working into that pick. I also have the Cleveland Browns covering the 13. The Rams against Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a three and a half point underdog. Rams. Yeah, I'm taking Rams to cover uh, for a lot of reasons we spoke about earlier. That is a sweep. Rams are going to win by multiple touchdowns and Carson Wentz is going to look terrible. Uh, New England taking on the New York Jets. The New England Patriots are giving six points. Yeah, Patriots. I'm going to go Jets here. Ooh, a little backdoor cover? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is going to come down to the end. I'm pretty excited. Scotty and I on the same page taking the pats. I think this this is the game where we go... You know, I thought I saw it with Mac Jones. He looked pretty good, but then he played the Jets. And goddamn, can that dude slice up a defense? Give me the New England Patriots to cover the six points. Raiders, Steelers, the Steelers. Right now, the Steelers are a six-point favorite. That defense is way too good. Way too good. Steelers. I'm taking the Steelers as well. Raiders obviously had a pretty wild uh, week one. So um, I'm going to just go with they uh, they went through a lot crazy game. Not a lot of players have played full games, right? Because of the preseason, how everyone's been managing their teams. I'm going Steelers. Queen sweep. We got Steelers on my end as well. New Orleans, Carolina, the Panthers are a three and a half point underdog. Who we got? I know where Vito's going. Jameis, baby. <laughs> Give me them Saints. Uh, yeah, that Saints defense impressed uh, impressed me. Um, they played really well, and I'm not sure if it was just the way that the Green Bay offense was playing. Uh, I don't think that the Panthers have enough. So, uh, actually, you know what? Give me the Panthers. Ooh, Panthers! I like the Panthers' offense a little more than a lot of people. Who that? Who that? Who that say going to lose to the Panthers? That's me. That's what I say. All right, we're going to go Panthers to cover the spread and win outright. I just think – I think there's – I think we're going to see Jameis fall back to reality. There's There are multiple Jameis games to be had, but I do think the Saints end up winning double-digit games, which would mean that my preseason prediction was very, very wrong. Uh, Denver, Jaguars, Jags are getting six points in this one. I'm taking Denver because of our offensive line. How we've been running the ball. We're going to finish the game off. Same Denver, that defense and 
Jacksonville is not good. I don't it's know if you watched that game, but not it's good. It's very boring. I don't want to just say oh, another sweep. So do I do I pick to for the record so I can sound smart at the end of the season? Or do I say that Trevor Lawrence finds a way to backdoor cover the six-point spread? That's six all you points, need to say. Six is weird, though, man. Like, six is a weird line. Maybe it was seven, seven and a half. I'll feel better about it. Uh, we're going to go Denver. We're going to say it's a sweep. Give me the Broncos. Matt, no, fuck it. Change my mind. Duval. Shout out the good place. All right. Uh, oh. Minnesota, Arizona. Arizona, three and a half point favorite. Arizona all day. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah, this is an absolutely absurd line. And if it ends at three and a half, then three and a half. I, I, honestly, all three of us show ends. Let's put our fucking bets in on that one right now because that is a fucking home run. Yeah, uh, I'm, it, I'm doing that for sure. Falcons, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, 12 and a half point favorites in, uh, was it Ray, uh, Ray, Ray John Stadium? Is that what they call it? I don't know. Raymond James, Ray, Ray, Ray Jam. I don't know. They have a nickname for it, but it's Raymond James Stadium. Twelve and a half. What was the line? (laughs) Uh, Tom Brady against the Falcons. That's twelve and yeah, yeah. uh, Bucks. I'm I'm gonna take the Falcons cover. That's a lot of points. I know the Bucks defense is good, but let's. I I think Matt Ryan puts it together in this game. I'm with you, Vito. I think Arthur Smith's going to go hard on them this week. He even said in the press game and the, uh, the post game press conference he did not have them ready to play. Thirteen days is a long time to kind of go in between playing. I think we're going to see. And also, like, look, Tampa Bay didn't look amazing in Week One, and I think they'll look good. I think they'll win the game. But twelve and a half. We're basically talking two touchdowns here. All right. I I think this is a one score game. I think Atlanta surprises people and maybe even the coming out party of one Kyle Pitts because they do have to worry about, you know, Calvin Ridley on the outside. So one of the two of them is going to have a big day. Cowboys on the road, traveling cross country to play the LA Chargers. The Chargers are a three and a half point favorite. Ooh, I think this is a shootout, uh, as I said earlier, but give me the Cowboys. Oh, all right. All right. I see you, Scotty. I'm I'm taking the Cowboys as well. That offense. Yeah, I'm taking Cowboys. Give me the Chargers. Give me the Chargers all day and twice on Sunday. Meaning I'll find a way to double down on this bet. Um <laughs> I just I think the defense is going to be very very bad for the Cowboys, and I think Justin Herbert's going to eat it alive. And I think it's going to come down to which of these defenses do you believe is going to come up with a stop first? And to me, I, I think there's one very clear answer to that, and that's going to be the LA Chargers. Uh, three games left: Tennessee and Seattle. Seahawks six point favorites at home against the Titans. I'm taking the Seahawks. I think Close. they explode yeah. on offense. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough place to uh, for Tennessee's defense to to start uh, get right in the ship is uh, playing on the road in Seattle. So uh, give me the give me the Seahawks. The twelfth man will be back and in full force, which is exciting. 
but give me the Titans. I think this is a one-score game. Six points is a weird number. So as long as it kind of fits within, I'm going to need a little bit of luck on my side. I think it's a tight game, and I just don't love – if it's going to be a tight game, I'd rather have the six points on my side. Give me the Titans to cover. Kansas City and Baltimore. Somehow the Chiefs are only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Do I need to even ask? Well, no. maybe – I don't know, Scotty. You 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 were picking Baltimore earlier. So you are you reneging on your, uh, on, on your pick here? No. No, I'm sticking with it. I'm going Ravens. All right. Scotty, taking the Ravens. Yeah, I'm going Chiefs. Um, Sunday night, uh, I just think they're going to come out and show up. Yeah, this is Kansas City all day, every day, snooze fest on Sunday night football, except we're just going to see amazing plays from Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, a.k.a. the best back-to-back draft picks in a fantasy that you can make at the 12th and 13th spot. (laughs) Uh, Last game we're picking. Detroit on the road in Green Bay. They're an 11-point underdog. Who do we got? I'm taking Green Detroit. Bay. I'm taking Green Bay. I think Aaron Rodgers comes out and lights it up. Scotty with the Lions. Vito with Green Bay. I've been the one that's gone out on the most limbs here in this pick, so either I'm going to be way ahead of you both or I'm going to be way behind. I, 11 points is too much. Give me the Lions. Nah. Yeah, give me the Lions. Oh, a little indecision. Give me the Lions. Let's go. (laughs) Give me a kneecap I got to bite. All right, quickly before we get going. Wait, you mean Nitty Lions, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, I got a couple of of random life shit because I did tease it at the beginning of, uh, you know, the, the show today. And if I have to go back and do some editing before we you know, do this out, then that's fine. So I do want to get this in because the three of us, we haven't been together here in a little bit. And I have a list I got here. You can even see, I got lots. All right. You can't see because of the glare, but I got lots of things I've been jotting down of stuff that's pissing me off. Um, And also just things I want to talk about first and foremost. uh, We lost a comedy legend this week. Uh, Norm Macdonald passed away age of 61 from, um, from cancer which he had had a, a an almost 10 year battle with without telling anybody about and i don't know about you guys but comedians they they hit a little bit different for me um there is something i believe noble about the profession of being a, a, a comedian in that your sole purpose in the world is to just try to make other people happy and yes there is some level of self-serving you know joy in that but norm mcdonald was a unique person in that he was your favorite comedian's favorite comedian right and 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 the unbelievable outpouring of support and love we saw for a guy like this i was curious into that you know we all kind of have people like this in our lives and if you guys want to you know kind of talk on norm or whatever feel free i'm not going to put you on the spot like that but I am curious as, as friends of mine and people whose opinions I respect and, and love and, and obviously just love to hear what you what you think and feel. Who is that kind of you know person for you guys when it comes to comedians, actors, entertainers, um, could even be a podcast host, just somebody who is 
underrated to a certain extent, but that you know that those who are around him or admire him truly view him on, on a next level. Cause I think Norm Macdonald was that for a lot of people. And, and I know I was, I had a pretty visceral reaction when I found out about it this week. It was, it was, it was very sad, um, but he's somebody whose life deserves to be honored. So I'm curious as to kind of who else fits into that mold for you guys. Man, I, I, when I think about it, when I, you know, first I think a favorite comedian just naturally, and I just think of like Dave Chappelle and just, mm-hmm. I think he's just done a lot and gone through so much in his life. So not only is this comedy great, but his story itself is great. And then now he takes like, in his comedy, he talks a lot more seriously about life and about things. So relate to him, but in terms of underrated, almost like actor that everyone who, you know, they, they talk with says is incredible. It's like childish Gambino, man. Mm. Like I think he's involved in so many things and has shown so many different sides of entertainment and creativity that like, I think he's on a level that, that is pretty impressive and, and just means a lot because you know, all the content you're going to receive is really quality and it's and in he, such different variety. And he really doesn't get, I mean, I know like when Atlanta first came out, like Donna Glover got a ton of love for it. And, and a lot of like his first album, you know, when he was still on community, like community is one of my all time favorite shows. Like, and that's a, you know, sitcom kind of comedy, not even a sitcom, but it's, you know, it's a comedy show and, and to see the depth of everything that's come post that, um, that that's such a, fantastic selection and i would also throw him in that kind of category for me as well what about you scotty who, who fits into that kind of that that kind of mold for you as, as someone who you know just just resonates with people on a different frequency but maybe doesn't hit the the national landscape in the same light james franklin no i'm kidding uh uh i don't know this is tough it's because a lot of my my thinking is is um, historical, uh, not necessarily someone that's that I'm living in the moment with. Um, I do a lot of that though with uh, with John Mulaney, who uh, who I thought was was in sort of the same category of of comedian doing it differently than everyone else. Uh, but I go back to. You want to talk about 180? I go back to uh, musicians, and 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 while the Eagles were really popular in their in their day, Glenn Fry is someone to me who, uh, as a as a musician and a, and a a person and a and a and an artist, uh, were was to me vastly underrated. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, I, th- I think I think that's a fantastic choice. Especially when you consider the Eagles as a whole, I, I think the band, you know, like I, I joke because like every every radio show I produce, the the you know the the fade out song is "Take It Easy" by the Eagles because it, it's the perfect song to end a radio show with, right? We're wrapping up the show at the end of the day, you know, just take it easy, everybody. What do I say at the end of every single podcast? Right. Mm-hmm. Take it easy, everybody. Right. Because and, and that's that's directly related to that, because I, I I also love the Eagles. And when you're talking about a band in that kind of context, like it, it's easy. For, and I'm sure Scotty has and I'm not sure if you've seen either Vito, but like as both Southern you know, California boys like that Whoa. documentary. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Whoa. not Southern, not Southern. Sorry, Scotty. <laughs> sorry, Scotty. As an East Coaster, California to me, every city in California is just naturally Southern California. But you're right, San Francisco is not Southern California. 
Um, Thank you. <laughs> but you know that as a California guy, you know the Eagles documentary is one of the best music documentaries yeah, in the world. It's fantastic! It's, it's incredible, yeah. and like it's a commitment. You gotta sit your ass down for a few hours and kind of watch it. Um, and so I think it's a great call, especially I think both of those are great calls too, because you know when when either one of them passes away hopefully it's in you know years years and years to come well, glenn fry's already but passed, glenn, so. yeah i was gonna say yeah glenn glenn fry has already passed away but childish gambino whenever like when, when you experience it firsthand as someone who kind of can appreciate it and and was uh in, important in your upbringing and even for us you know like like a john mulaney as well like that's gonna matter you know like that's gonna be one that kind of hits you just slightly differently and i i do think that stuff matters and um you know, I remember as a kid, like watching the Fairly Odd Parents, which is a cartoon on on Nick or I think it was Nickelodeon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he Norm Macdonald played the voice of the genie. And that was like my first ever, you know, like introduction to him. But his voice, oh, is, yeah. <laughs> his voice is so distinct. Right. And so then as I got yeah, older and I went, I, I, I'm a big stand up comedy fan it's hard not to ever kind of come across somebody like Norm Macdonald, you know, and not appreciate it. So uh, I know, I know the, the comedy world and honestly it feels like just kind of the world in general. I, I've watched a million Norm Macdonald videos. So uh, if you have the time, go, go watch something from Norm Macdonald this weekend uh, and, and, because it really is worth it. He really is just that inherently funny but don't go into it expecting your your traditional standup because it's not going to be that. He's just unapologetically himself, um, which which is phenomenal. Um, in, in in the vein of of Norm Macdonald, though, there's a couple of things on this list. One in particular that I think I feel like he himself would have a bit about, not to toot my own home because he would obviously do it way better than me. Um, so you guys both drive regularly. Right. I mean, Vito, you travel a lot, but Not you're Vito. in a car. <laughs> no, I, uh, I get in cars a lot. I just got a car finally. So, so it's been three years. It's kind of weird. You know, when you, um, you know, when you're driving or you're in a car with somebody and you, you see somebody with that yellow diamond on the back of their car. Yeah. And it, yeah. and it, and it says, uh, it says baby on board. Right. Or it says student driver please be uh, cautious or please be respectful. I get that this is an irrational hatred, but I cannot express to you both enough how much those <laughs> fucking stickers piss me off. It's so annoying. I they're get the so worst. pissed too. No, dude, they're every, okay. I'm so sick of this too, because every time I see them, I'm like, and I know this is not what I should do, but it doesn't make me think, oh, I need to avoid them. It's like, I should fuck with that driver. I need to teach him. It makes, a lesson me, it makes me want to drive to... more aggressively. Yeah. And, and like, I know that's not right. And I don't do that. I'm just saying that's the first thought I have. I'm, I'm mature now. I suppress that first thought, but dude, no, it's infuriating. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not like, yeah, I don't like ride the dude's ass, but what really pisses me off is that at least 50% of the time, the motherfuckers with those stickers on the back from like cautious student driver or caution baby on board is driving like a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. then it's and then that's it's like, the worst part. And that's that's when I lose my shit because you're right. If I see like student driver and they're driving like five miles an hour below the speed limit, I go. I remember what it was like the first time I took a car over 45 miles right. an hour, and I remember being petrified. 
I'm not going to be an asshole to this person. If I see a parent or whatever, I think of the last scene, was it knocked up when, when Seth Rogen sitting in the back seat and he causes the big traffic jam, right? As the credits roll, because you know, he's got the baby and or he's driving. He's like, I don't give a shit how slow I, I go. That's their problem. I think about those two scenes like that. But if yeah. I see somebody driving normal speed or driving like an asshole, with that kind of thing. Like I've seen baby on board sticker cars cutting in and out of lanes. And it, it infuriates yeah. me to a level beyond comprehension. It annoys me that like, okay, how long are we going to leave these stickers on folks? Like you're not going to be a student driver forever. You're not going to have a baby in the car forever. Unless you're Mormon. But the point is that you're never going to have these Irish. things forever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, <laughs> the majority of people I see having these, I'm like, you have no business having this on your car. I'm pretty sure you just went to Spencer's and slapped it on your car. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you made me. You made me swallow on my uh, on my drink there, Scotty. Um, yes, you're 100 percent right there. You're 100 percent right because I've often wondered. I've been like, I don't see a baby. I don't see a baby seat. Or a, a There's no no seat. evidence of a car seat. Yeah, right? I was like, hmm, where's where's this child that you're so worried about? Because yeah. there's Present no it. evidence. There's none. There's nothing that's a, that would suggest to me that there's an actual child involved in this decision to drive like an asshole and also have a sticker on the like back you just, of your car that says, hey, look, I'm a yeah. giant asshole. We should normalize the fact that if you're like a teenager and you're using your like parents car or something that has one of those and you're that's a situation does not apply to you. The baby is not on board. Take that shit down. All right. Or, let's normalize that. Because I feel like that's half the battle. Get <laughs> like a used, shared car and it's up there. Get fucking used to it. All right? This is the world, <laughs> man. You're going to drive in Washington, D.C. during rush hour traffic? Dude, I have no, no, no bullshit. All right? This, I was on a 30-minute car ride on my commute to work. I counted. This is what made me write this down. I counted eight different cars on a commute that takes me 20 minutes without traffic and 30 minutes in eight with the baby on board. And then another three that were careful student driver on one 30 minute commute. All right. Either make it a magnet so you can take it off if it's not true or grow a pair and fucking just, this is, this is life, bro. This is life. Yeah. You expect everyone else around you to drive differently because you have that sticker on fuck you get out of here i had to learn to drive in philadelphia all right tell me that that's if you want i mean dc might be worse dc is the worst driving town in the country traffic's worse Uh, in la traffic there's uh, traffic that's worth other work dc drivers are i don't know dude and everyone says this everyone says hey my town as the worst no, drivers, and I get it. No, it's just no, New Jersey. Because, no, this is why. Because everyone in New Jersey drives aggressively. It's one thing. Everyone's going to drive the same kind of way. In D.C., you have people who are – it's an implant city, so you got people who are, are basically relearning how to drive all the time. So the inconsistency of driver makes it fucking impossible on top of the fact that the city was designed to have less than half of the total population of people that actually live in the area. DC 
is the worst place to drive, but Jersey has bigger assholes. LA has more traffic. New York is just a shit show. And if you choose to drive in New York city, that's your own, that's your own decision. That's your own problem. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Jeff. And, and the thing is that in, in New Jersey, they know what they're about too. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fact that everyone does that. It's like, they know that. And, They've embraced that. So no, I'm just saying, like, here bad, it's a, it's a mo- much I encountered story. the most bad drivers in my life, like in New Jersey, at, like consistently higher percentage of just bad drivers. But the, uh, not my point great. is that they, no. my point is that they know that they don't need that a doesn't help them to be better or worse. No, no, but no, but here's what I'll say is like, I've, I've encountered many, many a Jersey, New Jersey driver, and I've driven in New Jersey many, many times. The problem is, is I would rather have the New Jersey driver who knows they either a suck at driving or are assholes and aggressive about it than be in a city like D.C. where people are just completely oblivious to the fact as to how terrible they are at driving (laughs) and will drive 10 miles an hour intentionally below the speed limit and not give a single flying fuck about how it affects anybody else. I'll take the two lane roads suck. That's what it comes down to. It's. (laughs) I'll, t- I'll take I'll take the enemy that I know versus the one that I don't. And unfortunately, I know that New Jersey drivers are dicks and suck at what they do. But you're either going to get people who drive crazy aggressive in D.C. or you're going to get people who do absolutely nothing and, and could care less Unsafely about how their actions nothing. affect. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Scott. Perfect way to put it. All right. I have other things I want to get into including Marcellus Wiley's all-time top 10 NFL players list. But you know what? Me even saying it on a podcast that's not even big is too much credence for someone as dumb as Marcellus Wiley because Fox Sports has decided to just get away with any intelligence whatsoever. And I don't even want to put it on the podcast. So we're going to wrap here. Long pod. Week two NFL this weekend. Penn State, Auburn. Maybe a live stream if we can get our hands on a, a Bud Light Seltzer flannel pack with uh, me and Scotty and maybe even Vito if we can find one out there in Cleveland for you, buddy. Safe travels, Vito. Pleasure having you back as always. Love you, buddy. Scotty, you're the man. As always, I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you on Mon- on Tuesday. Enjoy the games. May your bets be as fruitful as ever. And we'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy.